plus two is four. Two plus two is four. Two plus two is four. And gematria is, um, to put it simply, sort of the textbook definition is the art of assigning numbers to letters to reveal like deeper meanings and uh, to words and, and, and phrases and, and things like that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica show. We are going to be chatting with Marty Leeds a little bit later um, about all sort of weird number stuff and we got rpj he's back he's going to join us for the intro it's been a little while and uh, yeah but first <laughs> as always instagram dunlop how's it going buddy <laughs> yeah hey, i'm doing good your nickname i'm doing instagram. good yeah playing around with the instagram thing finally got it going <laughs> after three years it's been three years on the podcast and we thought what what else can we do to sort of market i guess or to, to connect with people and we thought it would do the instagram instagram so you can spam gram or instagram yeah so yeah what's our what's our instagram thing just the grimerica show right the underscore grimerica show is our instagram the underscore grimerica underscore show and i j- yeah because it forces you to do the underscore it won't let you do spaces yeah so I just uh, actually tweeted, or not tweeted, see, I've already got the lingo. I, I just posted uh, Red Pill Junkies original artwork. Yeah, instead? Yeah. You so should have just uh, yeah. oh, yeah, I was is. just thinking that the best image you could have used to debut uh, Grimerica's Instagram account was a picture of you wearing short shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to steal all the likes right off the bat. Oh, uh, well. Yeah. What did I put? You know, I put, actually, I put Joseph P. Farrell's up there first. I was waiting was for the that. first thing. Yeah. First art. Well, that'll yeah, be good because now that we've expanded the art program, that'll yeah. be a good place that even the people who don't get, uh, get chosen for the episode art will still get their stuff on Instagram. Yeah. Instagram. Nice. Well, maybe not all of it. I mean, we'll have to decide that. I think we just did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it depends on how many arts, art, art projects we get. Well, it's not going to be thousands. True. But I mean, what so if you just clog it up with art that we like don't one accept? And, one and four. But what if you start clogging up Instagram? Clogging it? Can you clog it up? You know, can we back it up too much? Too much Instagram? Well, yeah. I feel like already, like, those ones are down at the bottom. That's okay, I guess. Eh? What's going to happen when you... Get to, you're going to get to thousands eventually, regardless. <laughs> you don't need to see the first one. True. You have to get over that right away. And I wonder. We'll, I wonder if we could go find my first tweet. I think it was like I don't know how what I'm doing or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I seen something on. the other day. They gave sent me the option to download my archive. Well, there's hmm. a business to get into, eh? Twitter mm-hmm. archives. Yeah. So red, how are you doing, Manny, buddy? Can you believe it's been three years since we first had you on and we started this whole journey? Is it really three years to the date? Well, uh, not to the day, but I mean, to the Theoretically, week, we, call, we always called it a June 1st uh, oh, launch. Oh, it was our release. So yeah, we no, probably... we talk- released one a week earlier, but June 1st was actually the Red Pill Junkie release. Wow. 
No way. Man, no. I'm gonna check right now. How time does fly. It does though, eh? Doesn't it? It's crazy. It is crazy, man. I mean, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for you guys. I mean, you've managed to endure. Oh, no, May 29th. May 29th, pretty close. Yeah. 2013, yeah. You guys now are a really seasoned and established podcast. Doesn't business. feel like it, but... It doesn't I mean, feel at like it. At least it's steady and regular. I, I that's think the that's, main thing. I think that's part of it, of you guys. Uh, part of your success is that it doesn't feel like it. The moment you get too comfortable, the moment it's this becomes a routine, and that's the moment when you will become bored of it and decide to go out, get out. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but I mean, you've been on a lot since you since we started this journey, right? You've gone on a lot of shows. Yeah, I mean, I'm really happy that people uh, seek me out in order to have. A, uh, a good conversation with like-minded uh, uh, individuals in this uh, community is the only thing that I'm uh, I'm actually looking for. I mean, I'm not uh, really promoting anything. You know, I don't have a book to sell. <laughs> I don't even have yeah. a proper website established yet. You don't you know, even have an Instagram. I don't even have an Instagram. Yeah, I do have a Tumblr account though. Oh, dear. <laughs> Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Did you get hacked? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't checked yet. Hopefully not. Maybe there's now there's going to be a bunch of red or would you, have, you wouldn't have your credit card or anything on there anyway, would you? No, no, no. Nothing like that. You know, uh, if I had a good camera, good, uh, you know, nice se- semi-professional digital camera, I think I would... Definitely consider getting into Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. I never even thought about it, about having a camera. But you, you I, just use images, right? You're not even I, doing I, pictures. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, really, no, I got uh, yeah. a picture of Zeus on there. That's how you reeled in Alex Jones? I reeled in Alex Jones with my Zeus picture. <laughs> if you're only posting, like, artwork, then, I don't know, I think that Tumblr... Would have been a, 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 a better. We would fit. have been hacked. Oh well, you know. The, wait until you get hacked on Instagram. Oh, <laughs> better <laughs> shut her down. <laughs> yeah, shut it down now. Um. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, yeah, we're not. I don't want. To, I don't really want my picture out there too much. No, we so, won't. Yeah. We're not well, going to be posting selfies. We or could like post that. pictures of the studio and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, oh, for sure. Sasquatch hanging on for dear life. The best yeah. Instagram accounts, I believe, are the ones who are not about the the owner of the account. You know, people who take, I don't know, landscapes. You know who had an actually a, a, a good Instagram account? Uh, the late Mac Tonis. He had a really good eye for photography, a really good uh, eye for interesting things that pe- most people would tend to overlook uh, I don't know things in, found in the street um, he had also a, 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 a good sense of composition so yeah I mean that is the thing that I would interest, it, interest me if I were to 
who enter into Instagram, you know, following those kinds of people. And maybe, maybe you could do that too. I mean, I'm sure that people, uh, followers of the Grow America show will appreciate uh, more photos, not necessarily of you guys, but that, you know, with the bunker, your surroundings, you know, uh, a day kind of in the life of Grand America. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like getting more of a sense. I of, don't think they're ready for that. <laughs> where you guys live. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that's what I've got pictures of the surrounding area when I go camping or hiking and stuff. So yeah, we can post cool stuff like that as well. Might as well. Mm. I have the be- the be- the perfect project for your Instagram account. The moment that Darren finally decides to hoax a crop circle Shh. near That's you. That's happening sooner than later. Ixnay. Ixnay. Fucking say that. it if you're going to do it like that. You're no. supposed to surprise the no, whole community. To, now I'm going to have to well, edit that out. Well, I expect- Are you going to edit it out? No. Well, I expect to see Grand America people. Grand Americans are allowed to have the inside track. They'll be the only ones in on the joke. Well, and none of you fuckers better rat me out. That mysterious crop circle better be on your Instagram account. Absolutely, gonna, the front I'm page. Crop, of the, I'm going to crop that and put on Instagram. <laughs> hey, you better crop to me out of that. I look pretty good in that picture, actually. <laughs> Don't put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Sorry about that. I yeah, Grimericas get Grimericas get the inside track on uh well, they'll know about the crop circle. No rat. Jesus. I don't think the crops are ready. Another month. Uh what kind of uh crops do they grow near it'll probably be in a canola crop. Canola. Can you do that? I don't know. I might have to do some experimenting. Luckily Joey lives uh right next to a crop like literally from his back porch to the crop I was thinking you gotta do the ones out there well eventually yeah but I can do trials out at Joey's testing no figuring out methods Jesus well it can't be all lopsided (laughs) are you bringing that faker maker out crop circle faker maker from the UK I'm flying him out I'm going to America's dime I got your credit card number off the Libsyn account Ah, that's what he calls Matthew Williams, the yeah, faker yeah, I maker. Know. I know, I know. I know. He's just a sad little man. Yeah, yeah. Delusional. I'm not sad. <laughs> you're not sad, you're right, sorry. I meant it in a different sense. Oh, thanks. Man. That's even <laughs> I expected, I, I pictured you younger with more hair. <laughs> I'm seeing picture of canola. That means fields. I sound youthful. That's right. Yeah, but they're really beautiful. It. Canola fields, yeah, they turn yellow. Yeah, I'm beautiful color, yellow color. Yeah, when they turn yellow, driving there's tons of them around here. Like you drive through the field someplace and it's just yellow. Like when I'm out on my bike, when you go, you can go out down like southeast to here, and there's little roads there that you're just going through canola fields. You're just going through. I mean, it's too bad there's no rolling hills, but it's just. I don't flat think crop circles work in canola. I don't oh. know. That's why I need to experiment. If not, it'll be wheat. We have wheat fields around? I'm sure there's wheat. Wheat grows everywhere. Yeah. Good luck. Not no support from me. Good luck is support enough. <laughs> so what's going on with you, Red? Uh, nothing much. I'm uh, drowning in 
work. That's a good yeah. thing. It is. It is a good thing and a bad thing. You know, there, like everything in life, the moment you win something, you lose something in, in return. The law of the equivalence, I believe, I guess. So yeah, right now I'm starting to worry a lot less about things like uh, how to get money to pay bills. But the downside, and it's one of my major ones, is that I don't have time to listen to podcasts anymore. Yeah. You know, I I, I used to uh, work all day in front of my computer, you know, just listening to my uh, my podcast collection either on my my iPod or my cell phone and then you know putting on my headphones and nobody will disturb me you know just barely will I have to you know pause in order to take a call or in order to uh, if my boss will come and ask something but most of the time I would be free to listen to two or three podcast and now I can't do that because I have to be like available all the time I mean I'm in this space when there's uh, at least uh, three four more people in the same office and I have to be ready in case someone uh, calls for my assistance yeah so well there's that there's that thing that I I need to find a way now to to Listen to podcasts in 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 another manner. Yeah. Well, can you can you put one? You can't put one earbud in your ear. <laughs> nah, I can't do that. Why? I don't know. Uh, it annoys me. You know. Oh, does it? Yeah. 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 I mean, podcast is. Uh, you could do that if you're listening to music, I guess. But with podcasts, you have to pay attention, and and uh, keep in mind that. Uh, I'm listening to podcasts in English, which is not my first language. Yeah. So it takes a bit more of a concentration. For yeah, me. no, I know what you mean. I can't do it. Even if I could do it at work, I can't do it at work because mm-hmm. I, I can't focus on that and that really. Unless I'm doing yeah. some menial, like sometimes you're doing sort of mindless, more mindless stuff. But Sometimes. Some, shut up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I get but, a lot of time to drive around, so I'm lucky. Yeah. But it changes you. It'll change, Red. Like, I know what you mean. I went through that where I used to be able to listen to an audiobook or a podcast all day. And into now I can't. Now I have to, like, squeeze it in when I can through commuting or yeah. when I'm doing some, you know, chores, stuff like that. So... <laughs> So what do you, uh, can you do it on the drive home? I used to do it during my commute while I was uh, driving. And I used to have this, uh, my, my car stereo doesn't have a, um, like a Bluetooth connection, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to do the, this in a kind of an ugly way. I have to use this um, transmitter that would be connected to to my device mm-hmm. and that uh, uh, transmit uh, the audio in one unused uh, FM frequency, right? One of those uni- uh, unused uh, um, uh, spaces on the on the uh, on the FM band. And the, the the quality of the sound wasn't excellent, but 
when it comes to podcasts, you wouldn't mind because you're only listening to people. You know, you're not listening to to music in which it would be a bigger problem. But for some reason, this worked really well with my iPod. But for some reason, it doesn't work on my with my cell phone, and, and I don't understand. I don't understand. I haven't figured it out. What uh, kind of phone do you have? Uh, it's an HTC. Hmm. What app are you using? Uh, to listen to audio? Oh, uh, No podcast specifically. What I do, and this is also a, a thing that bothers me. Oh, because, boy. Uh, <laughs> now... All of my podcasts are being stored and are and are collected through my iTunes, my iTunes uh, software uh, on my laptop, right? So that's where, how I used to, you know, uh, retrieve the newest podcast, listen to listen to them, you know, and then uh, whenever I connect to the iPod, it will, you know, update. It will know which podcast I had already listened to, it will erase them from the iPod's uh, drive. It was really efficient, but now I can't do that with this HTC phone, which is Android-based. So Soraya Asketh, uh, you know, my friend and host of Where Did The Road Go, he recomm- he's, uh, he's really savvy with computers, that's actually the things he, he does for a living. He recommended to me this app called Sync, which I believe is based on the BitTorrent platform. And it's a, a really good uh, uh, app program to synchronize uh, content between your computer and another device. You know, so that's how I started to uh, store my iTunes uh, MP3s on my phone, you know, <coughs> by, by using Sync. So the it, thing it sounds is like wait, why don't you just use like Dog Catcher? No, yeah, it sounds like you're losing some audio quality or something in that whole transfer no, process. Not at all, because you not could just all. get you could just get an Android based podcast, podcast player that'll do the exact like same thing your or... your iPod. Like you were, you, you before you were using the generic podcast app. No, it, yeah, yeah, or, I, iTunes on an iPod, yeah, yeah. So now mm-hmm. you can get the same app for your Android. I think it's called Dog Catcher. There's or, another or one, one catcher. or One, one catcher. catcher. There's a couple different ones that Android people have said they're using that work well. How do you spell it? I think it's D O G G or D A G D A W G. Here, let me just uh, do best. Uh, 10 best. I got it right here. He's a pro. <laughs> Number 10. Uh, beyond uh, podcast. Number 9. Dog catcher. D O G G. D O double G. D O double G. Pod Pocket Casts. Number 7. Podcast and Radio Addict. Number 6. Pod Kicker. Number 5. RSS Demon News and Podcast Reader. Number four. Stitcher. Number three. SoundCloud. Number two. That doesn't make sense. You have and Spotify. Fucked, you have fucked it up. And Spotify. I, and tune in. I really radio. didn't like So those are no, weird. Stop at Dogcatcher. Graham yeah. did it wrong. Well, Dogcatcher isn't, isn't free. 
Let's see what I get. Best Android podcast app. Most of them are free, I think. Well, this one isn't. Well, I'll send you the money, Red. <laughs> no, no. I'm, what I want is... Uh, <laughs> uh, ha, now, would, you, would I be able to download uh, Pocket Cast. with this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. It says po- Pocket Cast is the favorite one. It's three ninety nine though. But you yeah. could find a free one. I mean, Beyond Pod... Oh, that's not free either. Android's a real fucking Apple-less market, eh? Two but it's Pocket Cast is up there. Oh, here we go. Here we go. You can get uh, Podcast Addict, free with ads in it, two ninety nine to remove ads. Podcast Addict? Yeah. And Dog Catcher's two ninety nine too. So mostly yeah. about three bucks, so. Uh, dog Catcher is... 4.5 stars. Wow, that's pretty that's good. That's the one. For two yeah, bucks? I mean, two yeah, bucks. You'll, for, get, you'll get all, the ones, that, you'll get all the ones that you listen to, you'll find on there. It is worth $2 not to do all that shit that you just told me you were doing. That is the best $2 you'll spend this week. Yeah, I'm considering, but we still have the problem that I can't listen to my phone. Network. Content, my phone audio with, uh, with the device that I was using to connect my iPod to my car stereo. You just drive with your headphones in. No, I, oh, I can't do I used that. To do that. It's illegal. Fucking, I used to do that for years. You can't they don't care about it anymore because well, everybody's got them. Your car doesn't have an auxiliary out. You're, you're just on your, just you got your microphone there. Just say you're talking on the phone with your, your hands-free microphone. Just get an eighth, yeah. mail eights to mail eights and they run it through no. your auxiliary. No, they don't have, most stereos don't have that auxiliary. <coughs> that is most illegal. Do. That is illegal in Mexico. What is an eighth to an eighth? No, no headphones. We're, we're in headphones inside your car. It's illegal in Canada too. I was just a criminal. They don't care. Um, exactly. But you, well, they, they you they must have a one eighth input on many your, other things in Canada. They don't care about you guys. Uh, uh, your uh, mm, drug laws are way more lax than here in Mexico. So yeah, that's not really in Mexico. They just shoot you. Yeah, so yeah, it's not a good comparison. So you don't have an, a one-eighth jack in your stereo then? This is an old car, man. It's I, I bought it in 2008. And oh yeah, you got one. Just you got it. You, or you got to get an FM transmitter. Or just, a, three or just a Bluetooth. That's like, what I have. An FM transmitter. It only doesn't work with my phone. I don't know why. Uh, operator error. Maybe just get a Bluetooth speaker then, like a cheap Bluetooth speaker. Uh, maybe. Just a separate speaker. I feel like we've already expelled too much effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the two listeners we still have, you know. Yeah, everyone just checked out that time. Nice three-year anniversary. But these are challenges that a lot of people probably have. I mean, I'm well, addicted to the to, to the on-demand aspect of podcasting, right? When I, I have, a, we have a few past guests that I follow on YouTube, but it frustrates me that I can't just listen to them in my podcast app because I have to be somewhere where I can stream it. It's not easily downloadable. So I still don't understand why there isn't more content available on the podcast app, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I get that struggle, right? It's. I used, yeah, what to, I, I used to do the why, connect, the physical connect and download from iTunes as well, but now it's just yeah, super easy. I, 
I can't. I've never done that. I can't. That's it's, like the dark ages to me. I'd even even <laughs> try to find some dinosaurs. kind of app that will emulate my iTunes, or will try to you know sync directly with my iTunes. That's exactly what these things are going to do. You're just going to have to go through and subscribe to all your podcasts again on it. Uh, okay. But you're going to have to only do that one time. Yeah, and I should also try to uh, download the Mysterious Universe app. You know, it will be far easier to to keep tabs with, with their podcast using that. Well, I'm hoping that, uh, well, there's a Gramerica app in the Android store, but it's five bucks. On, on Libsyn, you have to sell it. Oh, well. It's a shitty app, too. But uh, we are, actually, I don't know that it's a shitty app. I've never actually seen it because I don't have an Android. Christopher but, Ryan used to uh, uh, upload his uh, podcast through Lipsyn, but I don't know. He gave up. He thought it wasn't really worth it. So, you know, I'll take his worth. What does he do then? No. You know, you're, you're, he's on iTunes and he just lets, lets people, you know, download directly from his uh, website. And that's it. No, he's got to be, yeah, iTunes and his website. That's all you need. But I mean, all these other podcast directories, they're just feeding off of the iTunes library. It's all like I, the iTunes same link. Is, iTunes is still, you know, the 300 pound gorilla in the podcast. 513 oh. Canadian for the app? <laughs> I guess. The thing is that what gets me is that Apple is uh, real, doesn't realize, well, some people just don't want to get an Apple phone. So, okay, so why don't they release iTunes for the Android store? I don't know because they hate Android. So? I actually heard there was, I actually heard there was some sort of fucking, someone sent me some sort of, uh, there was an iTunes-y alternative. Someone sent it to me before. Was it an Amazon product? I can't remember. No, it was a link that we should have sent that you could submit your show at for an Android-ish. I can't remember. Someone yeah. listening sent yeah, it to me before. Send it to me again. Like yeah, there are people who are starting to release podcasts through the um, Android yeah, store. I'll send you five bucks to buy the Grimerica app pro bono and tell us how it works. I use I use Google Play. You know, for I think it's in that store too. I uh, I actually, uh, actually kind of like Google Play. Play. It's not. It's it's not iTunes, um, but it's not that bad. But what I loved about iTunes, about what I loved about my iPod, is that uh, whenever I left the podcast, you know, I could uh, re-listen it, re-listen to the podcast, you know, exactly where I left it. I can't do that with my with Google Play if I restart the phone. Oh, I, oh, yeah. And that's kind what of if, annoying. What if what if you just pause the phone, like lock it, and then open it? Oh, sure, it? sure. Sure, I do that. But then does it have to restart then? I would also, I would also love, like if, if Google Play kind of remember the, the things that I already listened to. Because sometimes I, I forget. Even a Walkman was better than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh... I didn't have a Walkman, but I did. I did have a Discman. You know, I used to do use a Discman 
whenever I went to the gym, you know, and and and, and, and run on the on the uh, what's it called this treadmill, uh, elliptical. Yeah. yeah. Well, what do you got first, Graham? You got you anything? Get, you want to get into some content here? Yeah, let's get into something. Yeah, I'll yeah. play a jingle. <clears throat> well, what are you going to get into this? Uh, what are you going to get into here? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Sounds like my camping trip. You tell me. Yeah. Are you going into chemtrails? No. Just geoengineering, the weather weather modification. Graham is an oh, all-in believer in chemtrails. That's a wrong one. I meant to play, uh... Death dumps, otherwise known as chemical trails, being <laughs> dropped and sprayed throughout the United States, Girl. England, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Europe, and I have personally seen them not only in the United States, but in Mexico. That could be you. So this is the weather modification segment. I'm reading from the 1978 Senate report on weather modification programs, problems, policy, and potential. Have you heard this at all, Red? I think so. Yeah. It's no, I'm not really that interested in chemtrails. No, it's not. It's not chemtrails. It's, it's Chem weather. It's, just, it's weather modification. And it's a Senate report. So mm-hmm. I've already read through the introduction and all that. And now I'm on chapter one. So you'll, you'll find this quite interesting, actually. Okay. So this is an introduction and summary of issues in chapter one. And it's part of the situation, the beginning of it. There's a great difference in opinion, however. On the state of technology in this field, according to Grant, some believe that weather modification is now ready for widespread application. In strong contrast, others hold the application of this technology may never be possible or practical on any substantial scale. It has been demonstrated that at least some atmospheric phenomena can be modified with some degree of predictable success as a consequence of seeding supercooled clouds with artificial ice nuclei. And there is some promise that the present technology will be expanded to include a greater scope of weather modification capabilities. So keep in mind, this is 1978, mm-hmm. talking about the 40s. So on the next page, it goes on to say, the prospects for successful weather modification are sufficiently promising that attempts to develop effective applications will continue. This was one of the major areas of consensus at a recent symposium on the uncertainties of weather modification. Here's a quote from that. There will be increased attempts to modify weather, both because people tend to do what is technically possible and because the anticipated benefits of precipitation augmentation, hail or lightning suppression, hurricane diversion and other activities often exceed the associated costs. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So then I'll flip through a little bit more. I, I, w- just... I wish the authorities of Mexico city will consider using geoengineering to start to, to, to see the clouds over the city in order to, to, uh, precipitate rain, which will, uh, get rid of all the ozone and, and carbon dioxide, you know, so that, uh, that way we wouldn't have all these, goddamn contingency plans that forced 
one million or two million cars to, you know, stay out of traffic. Huh. Well, I mean, that's what makes you wonder, right? If they have this capability, why aren't they doing it for more beneficial reasons, you know? Well, probably it's, it's, uh, the costs are, are, are one of the main reasons. So here I'm on to, uh, to page five, the timelines. The modern period in which weather modification is about three decades old, dating from events in 1946. Each of the three decades since the 40s has seen an initial burst of enthusiasm and activity in weather modification experiments and or operations, a mid-course pyramid of controversy, reservations, and retrenchment, and a final period of capability assessment and policy examination with the issuance of major federal reports with comprehensive recommendations on a future course. Huh. So there's an example here of the year 1966 was replete with government weather modification studies, major ones conducted by the National Academy of Sciences, the Special Commission on Weather Modification of the National Science Foundation, the Interdepartmental Committee for Atmospheric Sciences, and the Legislative Reference Service of the Library of Congress. During that year or thereabouts, planning reports were also produced by most of the federal agencies with major weather modification programs. Public law, actually, 94-490 came into, uh, it was enacted. The National Weather Modification Policy Act of 76. Huh. So it's interesting. And then it goes on to say, well, some would argue that there exists no federal policy. At least one White House official, in response to a letter to the president, made a statement of weather modification policy in 1975. Let's see if I can read this here. A considerable amount of careful thought and study has been devoted to the subject of weather modification and what the federal role, and in particular the role of various agencies, should be in this area. As a result of the study, we have developed a general strategic for addressing weather modification efforts, which we believe provides for an appropriate level of coordination. We be, this is interesting. We believe that the agency which is charged with the responsibility for dealing with a particular national problem should be given the latitude to seek the best approach or solution to the problem. In some instances, this may involve a form of weather modification, while in other instances, other approaches may be more appropriate. Okay, but all these... Uh you found out doesn't really mean that there already are robust weather modification techniques outside of the uh, you know normal or simple uh, procedure of cloud seeding. Okay, let's go. Uh, let's go on a little bit here. Then, I mean, we could start writing policies in order to regulate uh, human cloning or. or the development of artificial intelligence, that doesn't mean, you know, we already have uh, the capability or that, or that we will have the capability 30, 40 years in the, in the future. Okay, that's a good point, Red. Um, I got some, I want to read some patents later as well that make that very interesting. But I also want to uh, just quickly go over the next couple paragraphs here because it's going to kind of answer that question of yours a little bit as well. So okay. definitions and scope of report. In the broadest sense, weather modification refers to changing, changes in the weather phenomena brought on purposefully or accidentally through human activity. Climate change is also brought about by human interaction, intervention, and they might result from either unintentional or planned activities. 
The following recent definition sums up succinctly all of these purposes. Weather modification is the deliberate and mindful effort by men and women to enhance the atmospheric environment, to aim the weather at human purposes. And then it goes on to talk about some of those. Okay, I mean, sure. Uh, policymakers were informed about the, the pursuit of trying to modify weather, and they realized that uh, uh, there was actually a possibility for the first time in human history to start controlling the weather, so they decided to get ahead of, the, of it. It's the same with uh, when they started to write laws in order to... to uh, regulate how humans will start to colonize space. Doesn't mean that, you know, that it already has that happened. there's a secret space program? Doesn't yeah, exactly. Enough. Doesn't really mean that. Okay, let me, let me continue on here. And I'm getting to a point, and I'll sort of, <laughs> we'll talk about it later, but there is yet another aspect of advertent weather modification which has endangered much controversy, both in the United States and internationally, not designed for the benefit of those directly affected. The use of weather modification for hostile purposes such as a weapon of war. This mm-hmm. aspect is not a major consideration in this report, although there is some discussion in chapters 5 and 10 of congressional concern about such use of the technology. And in chapter 10, there's also a review of recent efforts by the UN to develop a treaty barring hostile use of weather modification. Okay, so just when was, skip. Go ahead. Okay. When was this uh, written? This is 78, yeah. Okay, so it's already so, talking about the past sure, 30 but years. This was before uh, science, the science of chaos theory, you know, got into the picture. You know, uh, do, you, do you guys re- re- read uh, Jurassic Park, the actual novel? Aside from, I you think know, I did it. read the actual, the first one by Michael yeah, Crichton, the, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and in, the, in the novel, there's plenty of pages in which Ian Malcolm, uh, the, the character that was played by uh, Jeff Goldblum, I think is his name, he was the uh, chaos theory guy, you know, the mathematician who gets the guy who says life finds a way and all of that. And, and, and in life the novel, finds a way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, very, very good. <laughs> so in the novel, there's a lot of explaining how uh, like in the 60s and 70s um, scientists were sure that we'll be able to control the weather or predict the weather and they thought it was just a matter of getting uh, more powerful computers in order to try to uh, uh, code and try to um, uh, create software, you know, to, to program those computers uh, with all the variable, the, uh, the variables uh, in, in present in a weather system, so you will be able to, to get an accurate uh, weather prediction. But then came chaos here, which said, you know, no matter how much you know about all the variables in a system, there's always a level of randomness you will never be able to predict. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that um, they haven't been fucking around with the weather for 60 years. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's, there's, there's timelines in the Senate report. My, sure. It's like, for example, point... 46 to, from 60, where's that one I just saw? 
My point is, if, even if they started to develop a, 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 a weather modification technology, chaos theory, you know, and 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 uh, the unpredictability of of huge physics systems would show that that kind of technology is really unreliable. You will you wouldn't be able to 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 get. The desired, uh, uh, the desired outcome. You know, you'll say, "Oh, well, let's make some rain in Texas," and then instead of a rain in Texas, you get—I don't know—a torna- tornado in Kansas. That's the point. That's a tornado. That's the point. Is that like a tostado? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that was pretty funny, actually. All you need is a big old fucking truck full of butterflies, and you can. Change the weather wherever you want. Yeah, but I mean, what I think what Graham's trying to 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 prove is that yes, there's a technology, and they have been testing it, and then they've been making a mess out of uh, out of the weather. Well, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Let me. Okay, so I got five more things here because that's the point: is that how can you measure things properly if you're fucking with the weather and it's affecting other things, and then you're basing all this you know, hype and rhetoric on data that's fucked up because you're fucking with the weather. Well, humans have been fucking with the weather since millennia. We've been modifying the weather and we've been modifying ecosystems since we started to, I don't know, know created agriculture. I'm talking about not, you know, not conscious uh, meditative ways and, and just from natural... Uh, evolvement and building and industrial. Like I'm talking about, you know, purposefully modifying the weather. I'm not talking yeah. about inadvertent modification. I'm talking about, yeah, you know, was, and I'm not talking about Oregon energy here. I'm talking sure. about, uh, you were purposefully try to modify the weather. It doesn't really mean that you will go, you're going to get what you were looking for. Exactly. So let me just continue on here and I'll finish this off. Then we can chat about it. There's substantial diversity of opinion among informed scientists on the present state of technology for specific, specific types of weather mod and their readiness for application and with regard to weather modification in general. There's a need to develop an ability to predict possible adverse weather effects, which might accompany modification of specific weather phenomena for example the extent to which hail suppression or diminishing hurricane winds might also reduce beneficial precipitation or the possibility of increasing hail fall or incidents of lightning from efforts to stimulate rainfall from cumulus clouds so i think that's what you're what you're talking about there here's another one there is there is an increasing evidence that attempts to modify clouds in a prescribed target area have also induce changes outside that target area, resulting in the so-called downwind or extended area effect. Reasons for this phenomena and means for reducing negative results need investigation. And again, there's the possibility that cloud seeding in a given area and during a given time has led to residual or extended time effects on weather phenomena or the target area beyond those planned from the initial seeding. And then again, the conduct of Independent cloud seeding operations in adjacent locations or in the neighborhood of weather modification experiments may cause contamination of the atmosphere so that experimental results or estimates of operations are biased. 
So, and then the last point here is there is a need to develop, improve, and evaluate new and currently used cloud seeding materials and to improve systems for delivery of these materials into the clouds. Mm -hmm. They're talking about it right here in the U.S. government, right? There needs to be improved systems for delivery of these materials into the clouds. Sure. And you missed the beginning part where they're talking about the actual, you know, silver iodide and all this stuff that they're actually doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me yeah. go through. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, there's it's a, all uh, technology. So, we already know it exists, but uh, that's a No, we don't, leap. though. No, maybe you realize it exists, but a lot of people don't even think that this has been going on. But I don't know why, why the, where, where those people were when the Olympics in China were celebrated. I mean, the Chinese used cloud seeding in order to try to improve uh, the pollution contents. Uh, well, yeah, it was successful. Oh, it was successful. Well, well it doesn't remain to be seen. seen. The Olympics went well. A success. There was sun. They they did they they did do it. I mean, it was written about in papers and stuff. I know, but it's not talked about in in terms of the global warming, right? So I guess my point is, this isn't discussed or or analyzed in relation to how we as the populace are causing global warming. That's what bugs me about it. Nobody's Shut talking up, about slave. this. Shut up, slave. So let me, let me just go over a couple of quick things here just to prove the point a little bit more. This is a list of patents that I picked out. There's just a few here out of hundreds. Mm-hmm. This is back from patent 1665267 from April 10th, 1928. The process of producing artificial fogs. One, three, three, Get get this one. 1920. One three three eight three four three. Process an apparatus for the production of intense artificial clouds, fogs, or mists. Nineteen twenty-seven. I won't read the patent number. It's right here. Process of producing smoke clouds from moving aircraft. Nineteen thirty-two. Atomizing attachment for airplane engine exhausts. 1934, airplane spray equipment. 1947, spraying device for aircraft. 1951, process for controlling weather. 1949, aerial discharge device. 1952, metal chloride screening smoke mixture. 1953, smoke generator. Many different patents for smoke generators. So that, I mean, you know, some of that's not direct evidence or whatever, but it definitely shows that there's been some sort of movement on developing the technology for this back in the 20s. I don't know. I, uh, I would like you guys to interview someone who has a bit more knowledge about how patents are granted because I feel that just because you are granted a patent doesn't mean that you did your patented uh, um, invention yeah, will yeah. Yeah. work. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's true. I'm not saying that this is all operational, but... It definitely lends some credence to the to the fact that there's been some fucking with the weather over the last. No, uh, it doesn't. Know. It just means that people have been interested in fucking with the weather. Yeah, but when you, what I'm saying is, when you combine that to the Senate report that talks about people fucking with the weather and how it's working, modifying what? storms. So I mean, it. So the Senate report says it's been going on, and this is the patents to show people interested in it. So uh, it doesn't take a fucking brain, you know. Brain um, <laughs> There's a lot of patents about uh, nuclear power uh, uh, 
drilling systems in order to create ginormous uh, tunnels. And it doesn't necessarily mean, as some people have suggested, that we have the means to create all these underground bases, you know, that are part of the uh, Dulce mythos and all of that. So you think we just patented them for fun? Operation no. Do, Operation oh. LAC, Project Cloverleaf, Project Popeye. These are all ones that have to do with this. Project so. Popeye? Is that about spinach? People probably pursue getting a patent in order to try to secure this intellectual property. So they have delivered, so they may, they may have the liberty to try to actually develop it. Doesn't mean they will be successful, but you know. So what about the report that talks about how, maybe I, fuck, maybe I need to just find that for you actually. Okay, find it for me. <laughs> you can keep going. You can keep going, Darren, if you want. Okay. No, I mean, like, keep talking. Fucker. Oh, I should ask if you're doing that or move on. Yeah, I'm not doing anything. Okay, you're just answering the question. Well, if nothing else, I bought you some time. <laughs> All right. This is the UFO quote. <laughs> Flying saucers are real. Too many good men have seen them. Oh, that, repeat, that, repeat. It's not, it's not a repeat. Last week or the no, week before, he no, asked, no. too many good men have seen them. No, uh, no. That don't have hallucinations. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, World War I air ace. Yeah, I've, someone, someone call him out on it. GrahamAckerAmerica.com. No, man. Yeah, I remember that. You're red, you don't remember that, do you? He doesn't listen. Okay, <laughs> Red. I don't. Okay, I got think a, I, I remember. I got a little. I got a little sentence for you here, just to to tell you. Read it in whip. Yeah, the modern period in weather modification is about three decades old. Uh, who said that? Dating from event. This is in the Senate report. The summary of conclusions. Okay, dating. Okay. This is 1978. The modern weather. Modern period and weather mod is about three decades old, dating from events in 46 when Schaefer and Langmuir of the GE Corp demonstrated the cloud of supercooled water droplets could be transformed into ice crystals when seeded with dry ice. Soon afterward, it was discovered that fine particles of pure silver iodide with crystal structure similar to that of ice were effective artificial ice nuclei, and that seeding clouds with such particles could produce ice crystals at temperature just below freezing. Silver iodide remains the most often used material in modern cloud seeding. This is in 1978. Yeah, but it's really expensive, you know, because it's made out of what? Oh, silver. <laughs> That's just the one ingredient. I'm sure there's lots more. So anyways. Aluminum, yeah. like yeah. in chemtrails. You want to lighten it up with a little dream? A little sip? Graham is an all in believer oh. in chemtrails. I don't like that. You know, all right, we if should that move jingle on wasn't here. so well produced, <laughs> I know. It's really well done. <laughs> have you, ever, got, you should have some guest, you know, to talk a about chemtrail guest. We should. No, 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 no. Weather modification, geoengineering. Yeah, I agree. Oh. I agree. I want to talk about Martian engineering. How we're going to terraform that motherfucker. No, so, yeah, it will be... Like somebody terraformed us? Yeah. 
No, put, the, put the moon in orbit and no. And then they shot the dinosaurs and planted humans. <laughs> Wasn't the moon a hologram? You know, now I'm confused. Uh, I believe <laughs> it's a definite possibility. It was oh. and it is. Uh, so I have you... a synchronous dream. Ooh, what do I do for Ooh. that? So I'll have to do a quick crossfade here. I'm a is it real or a dream? What does that even mean? I'm a rambling sound skits. All right. So, hey, this is uh, from Luke. <clears throat> he says, uh, just a quick note for you. Just a quick one for you. I dreamt last night that I was talking to someone. I can't remember a name or if it was someone I know in reality, but. I remember the feeling that they were extremely wise and I vowed, valued their opinion higher than anyone else, than anything else. Anyway, I asked them if it was time to go back yet, to which they answered, not until you hear Clapton. We, then, we then continued to talk for some time, but the subject matter is forgotten to me now. I remember being confused by that answer at the time. I can't even explain what I meant by going back. <clears throat> Although now I realize it meant waking up. As when my alarm went off, I played Eric Clapton's Layla from the very first notes of the song. My alarm was set to play the local radio station, not a playlist off my phone or anything. So it could have, it would have had to be a very low probability that they would be playing a Clapton song at that time, 3, 3.45 a.m. And even lower that it would coincide exactly with the opening notes of that song. That's why he dreamt it. Because the radio said Clapton was coming up next. That was probably his, what was his quote? <clears throat> what did he hear? I asked them if it was time to go back, to which they answered, not until you hear Clapton. Actually, that's a, uh, Darren is making a really good point. Maybe he had already started to listen it to listen to the, the song. No. What? And that's, that's the second he started to, to dream that. I mean, when, you have to keep in mind no, that no, 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 no. time in the dream time uh, uh, moves differently than no, in the waking time. No, 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 no. Yes, man. That's nowhere. That's not like, possible. Sorry. I remember one time sorry, I dreamt that I was peeing, and then when I woke up, I had peed the bed. Oh, my fucking God. That's got <laughs> nothing to do with it. <laughs> well... <laughs> There are people who, you know, where they're, sleep, they're sleeping, you know, they're fall out of bed, and that's the moment when they have this dream of you know, falling off a cliff or something. Sorry, what was that? <laughs> Say it again, Red? Nothing, you know, oh. Darren Gross. <laughs> By the way, that was a long time ago. Of beer. Yeah, sure. When I was sure a kid. Was, buddy. <laughs> Um, I, I understand what Red's meaning, but I don't think it applies to this. I, it no, that's off. what I think 100%. The radio was no, off, no, and then it no. came on, I and, think he just, and then he, he woke up when Clapton came break. on. Random break. They came on. We're coming back with some cl or so Clapton. Coming back with it? What do you well, mean? Whatever. They came back. It wasn't hey, on. Watch. It was his alarm. It was shut exactly. down. Exactly. No. He, it goes off. Clapton says that he wakes up in that split second before the song starts, and it all fits into his dream. We really don't know if no. he woke up, you know, 1.5 seconds But if not, I'll give him after, an 8. 1.5 seconds after, you know, Layla started playing. 
But that's a, yeah. I, I know what you guys are trying to say, but I don't think you're, you you can get it. I don't well, think it's. I think I that's a hundred percent. It's a possibility. I think it's yeah. a close case closed. I know a well, jingle for case I will not closed. say that. I will not say that. I, I think it's a <laughs> case. It's closed. something he should consider. But I'll tell you what I do remember in this in this regard. I so I understand what you're talking about. So I'm I'm in this dream, and let's say I drop something on the floor. Really yes. heavy, right? Like, and it, and it's gonna slam on the floor. As it slams on the floor, the door, uh, the noise that it makes is actually the car door slamming outside. That's right. Exactly. So, so, do you think that car door slammed because of your dream of a coffee cup falling? Well, no. no. I just think, how did I know in my dream that that noise was gonna happen? Because you were, you already had listened to the sound. Because you're semi fucking coherent i don't know yeah, you think it's your that brain's just that your brain's just that, oh yeah yeah well, there's really, a whole yeah. scene but the problem is it's a whole scene that takes place i'm on Did this table and then something rolls off the fucking table Did and then it lands and the, the noise is the dark the corridor you know, the corridor <laughs> what the, the fuck please <laughs> listen a whole lifetime can happen in the span of a an, an uh, batting of an eyelash when you are dreaming Time moves differently. Yes, I do realize that. But so I, that's, yeah, I, it's a possibility. I'll give you guys that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty cool story, though. That's yeah, not too bad. It's a really good story. I mean, I, I still think it's a good, cool story, and and that's either it's a synchron, a very powerful synchronicity, synchronicity of it shows the power. Of of the mind when it's you know in dream time, yeah. or in some sort of altered state. <clears throat> Speaking of, I should be getting my lucidamine supplement in the in the mail anytime soon. Penis pills? No, lucidamine, lucid <laughs> dreaming pills. Oh, uh, what's it? Yeah, galantamine. Is it legal in Canada? Are you yeah. going to get raided? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we already established that he's a criminal. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> keep an eye on. Lucid dreaming with my headphones on. And while driving, so send bail money to slash support So, uh, do you want to talk about the 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 upgrade finishing and stuff? Then this is the episode we have to do it on, right? And we should apologize because this was supposed to come out two days ago, but yes. we we messed up when we were recording because the guest was actually coming on Wednesday. So we're doing so the we draw next Tuesday, first instead of recording on May thirty first and releasing that same night. Yes, so we're doing the draw on Tuesday. We're going to film it on or Tuesday or Wednesday. Next week, we're going to film it on Periscope. So this is the upgrade draw for the iPad and and uh, to have a guest the swag, on the, the show. Swag is, the swag came in already. Yeah. Swag's here. So, so we're, we're going to we're do, the do the draw on Tuesday? Yeah. yeah, we're going to do the whole thing on Periscope. It'll probably take 20 minutes. We'll kind of record, put all the names, cut them out, and uh, draw and then we're going to figure out the exact rules. Like we'll probably pick three winners, sort of one, two, three, in case one person doesn't want to have somebody on the show, that type of thing. We'll talk about all that live. So before the draw, right? So we'll figure yeah. it all out. Yeah. All right. We'll do a pecking order. Yeah. Kind of. I think we should yeah. do that. So that being said, I think this come out on Friday. So we're, if you, if you want to buy a ticket, you haven't got one yet. You can, if, you know, if you want to get one, we can Is go there right some up. available because we said we were going yeah, to not, June first. Yeah, there's not a lot left. There's like uh, less than twenty. Holy shit! Yeah, so we'd be you, a little short on the funds for this. So if yeah, 
So if you want to, uh, if you want to still grab any, we'll go right till we do the draw. I mean, if you can buy a ticket right up to right, draw might time. Might as well, yeah. Yeah, we might yeah. as well. Okay. And we'll, uh, I don't know, I think the Periscope shit just goes on Twitter, so just follow, I'll, I'll update on Twitter, and then uh, maybe Justin can update in the newsletter as well with the link. I think it all goes through Twitter. I'll have to check. Uh, Gainsford has it all sorted, so. Okay. We'll do that, and then everyone knows we're legit. Yeah, and yep. then uh, sign up for a monthly grabamerica.ca slash support uh, we keep uh, we'll keep coming out with shit for free and if you can and when you can sign up for a support package there anywhere from three cents a day to uh, a buck a day um yeah and spam gram red you got anything else there buddy spam oh, did, did we talk about that at the beginning Instagram right? Sorry to interrupt, Red. Did we talk about that on here? No, Graham's on Instagram. The Grimerica show's on Instagram now, so search us. And I guess what? Follow, like us, all that stuff? Whatever you do. I'll put the episode art up there so you can check out the episode art. Each week has different episode art and just links to upcoming shows as well and stuff like that. Not links necessarily, but pictures related to upcoming episodes. Sorry, right. I didn't, sorry to interrupt you there, Red. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, I was going to say that I was invited to be on a podcast. I think it's on the 26th. Oh, yeah, the Conspiracy Normal oh, nice. podcast. I don't know when it's going to be released. The 26th of June is when we're going to have a chat. Uh, right now, I think uh, Greg Bishop released a show on Radio Misterioso in which... Uh, our friend Robert Bernstate and I uh, made a kind of a, I don't know, round table. We kind of like switched places with Greg, you know, so we kind of like tried to interview him about uh, his uh, recently released book, It Defies Language, which was the book that, uh, that I help him out by, you know, drawing the, the, the chapter illustrations and also designing the, the cover. Uh, I haven't listened to, to, to the podcast yet, but I remember that I had a great time, you know, chatting with Robert and, 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 and talking about with Greg about the book and about all the wacky stuff that we like to talk about UFOs and such. So yeah, guys, if you, uh, if you want to listen to that, head down to Greg's website, radiomisterioso.com, and, and you will find it. Yeah, and check out, I think it was 100, F169 with Greg Bishop. Or is it 168? No, 168 was Farrell. I don't know. Let me it check it out. Right in my Instagram here, I've already uh, tweeted the tweet or tweeted it. Insta, Insta spam. Insta. One sixty five. Thanks, though. Damn it. <laughs> I think that's about it. Uh, anything else before we jump into our chat with uh, one sixty five? With oh, I said that like, yeah, Marty Leeds. No, that's it, man. This is a fun chat with Marty about the what is it, the gamatria and the the cipher of the English language. That's right. Interesting. Mm, yeah, it's pretty. It's a good and yeah. Right, thanks, Red. Uh, thanks, enjoy, guys. Enjoy the chat with Marty, guys, and we'll see you in the uh, outro.
And we got Marty Leeds here tonight in Grimerica. I met, actually, I met Marty at a conference in Calgary last summer. I think I probably talked about it on an episode. So it's glad, uh, we're really happy to finally uh, have you on here, Marty. And Marty's an author of four books. He's a musician. He's a bit of a math magician, actually. And he's been doing, a, he's also been doing a, a series of YouTube lectures as well. His books are like Pie in the English Alphabet, Volume 1, 2, and 3 is just about to come out. And the Peacock's Tales, uh, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis. And I'm not going to really get into trying to describe what your work is like, Marty, because I want to let you do that. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's nice to finally get to chat with you here. So how you been lately? Been good, been good. Things have been a little hectic. I was uh, sick as the, uh, the more most sick I've ever been. Uh, like just a couple of weeks ago, I had the flu and it would put put me out for like a week or something like that. But and other than that, it, things have been good. So right on. So summer's you're... breaking here in Oregon, so that's or you know spring and summer's coming, so that's good. You know. Yeah, we yeah. had a teaser of last week. It was like twenty seven, thirty degrees or something like that, and everybody's outside and so it feels like wow, summer this and motherfuckers then, burning down. And then I get <laughs> and then I get all excited, like, oh, this is gonna be like this for a while. Then it goes back down to five degrees, ten degrees, cloudy. So yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess you yeah. get do you get a lot of rain there in Oregon? <clears throat> yeah, the winters can be kind of brutal just because it's so gray. So, you know, and some, sometimes we won't, we won't see sun for like a week or something like that. So I'm pretty used to it by now, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the, mad. yeah, I mean, I used to, I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin, so like I had some brutal winters there too. I mean, the snowfall can really get to you, but at least you get some sun. So in Oregon here, it can, you know, it can get to you, but like I said, I, I'm pretty much used to it now. So I just usually kind of hunker down and write or do something, you know? Yeah, I came from Vancouver to Calgary and in Vancouver being so rainy and cloudy and I wouldn't see the sun for a week or two, just like you're saying. And then I came here and I was like, oh, wow, the sun it's is setting and it's setting and it's rising every day to, get to see it <laughs> every yeah. day. Yeah. yeah, we went in the Modern Knowledge Tour. We stopped in Vancouver. That was the first time I'd been there. And that's a pretty cool town. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. It's it's especially just over the last five or 10 years, it's fully developed now. So the the whole, you know, the whole ocean side and the walkway and the, all the little communities is sort of, it's all, you know, nice and developed and accessible. Yeah, it was cool. It was a pretty hip town. So how, how did that time. lecture go for you? <clears throat> it went well. Every city was really great. Like the crowds were great. Um, I had really never done a tour like that before and like really spoken to that many people. And, you know, I was pretty comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with the material as well. So that's, that was good. Um, but yeah, it was really great. Everybody after the conference that came up had great questions. They were really intrigued and it was just cool. It was a really, um, uplifting experience. So, and I actually got to, I went with, one of the organizers, Dave Whitehead, yeah, and we yeah. actually took his car and drove across Canada. Oh, nice. So where the other guys that, you know, they flew or they had like RV or whatever, you know. And so it was just he and I. So we did some camping and, you know, just got to see the scenery. So it was it was cool. It was like uh, that was kind of one of the reasons I even wanted to do it just because, you know, the adventure of it. So, so Canada's effing beautiful. Yeah. So you there were so eat. many places. Yeah. You know, we went to Lake Louise. Um, we were in Banff, you know, we went, um, you know, started out by the Great Lakes there and camped there. And that was just amazing. So very, very beautiful country. Wow. That's great. Yeah. You, so did you do the drive from Vancouver to Cal to Calgary then to the Rockies? Yeah. You probably, yeah, you <laughs> yeah we went the whole way. Yeah. So that's we, great. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, so we started, what was the first, uh, I guess, Mon- uh, Toronto? No, no, Montreal was the first date. Yeah. And then, yeah, drove all the way uh, to Victoria. Yeah, wow, so, that's great. Yeah. yeah, so it was cool. It was it was a heck of a trip, so. How long? No, I guess you didn't drive straight through. Did you drive a little every day? Yeah, well, yeah, um, we had like a week off in between. So we did, what was it, uh, Montreal and Toronto was like back to back. And then we had basically a week before uh, Calgary. And so we got to tool around. We stopped at uh, David's uh, parents' house and that sort of thing. And then and then we had some days after that before we got to Vancouver and Victoria. So then we went, we did um, a couple like, I don't know, 12, 14-mile hikes, you know, in Banff. And um, yeah, like I said, Lake Louise, which was just gorgeous. And so, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was a great time. Did you get a chance to to mingle with the other presenters at all? Uh, you know, like Nassim or, or Patty Greer, or I can't remember who else was on your tour. I think it kind of changes city to city. Did you guys ever have enough time to chit chat with them? Yeah, everybody, you know, it's like when it, it, it's weird because when you do these conferences, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of the presenters are tied up talking to people, yeah. you know, because they, you know, that's part of the, the whole spiel of the thing, you know, and I, I was too. So, but yeah, um, Alex and Allison Gray were on in, in right. Toronto and Montreal. And so, yeah, and after, um, after the lecture in Toronto, I got to hang with Alex a little bit and, you know, we talked for 20 minutes or so. And that was really cool. He's a really sweet guy, really, really down to earth, really cool. Of course, I love his art and stuff like that. And yeah, Allison yeah. was really sweet too. And then, uh, yeah, had a dinner with Nassim and that was, you know, that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, we and talked to Patty, you know, got to, got to chat a little bit with everybody, but like I said, it's, you know, it's kind of hit or miss because, you know, time is always a constraint. So Yeah. So do you want to describe a bit about about your work and what you were what you were talking about? Um, I don't even want to try, but it's it's pretty interesting. Like a, like you call it math and magic, really. But you want to give us an overview before we drill into some of the real interesting bits? Yeah, sure. So I mean, the 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 crux or like the cornerstone of the work that I do is really focused on gematria, but. And gematria is, um, to put it simply, sort of the textbook definition is the art of assigning numbers to letters to reveal like deeper meanings and uh, to words and 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 phrases and, and things like that. And so that's sort of like the um, you know the conduit or whatever in which I explore all these other things. And those other things being numerology, symbolism, theology, and philosophy, and that sort of thing. So the you know. Like I said, the cornerstone of the work is gematria, and um, really I focused on the English alphabet because I had uncovered this cipher that I believe is really a um, – it's um, it, it's an artifact of history is really what I, th- I feel like it is. It's, right. I think it's been around for you know maybe 500 years at the inception of the English alphabet or the English language, modern English I should say, whenever that was constructed or bequeathed or whatever, you know, whatever we say, we don't, I don't really know on that. So basically uh, the, the majority of the focus is on that, is on the cipher and that sort of thing. But I, like I said, I also go into a lot of other things in symbolism, secret societies, conspiracy, um, you know, the concepts of uh, a creator um, and that sort of thing. So the um, really what I focused on on the tour was explaining the cipher in a sort of very uh, succinct way. Um, I only spent maybe like 10 minutes, you know, describing and explaining how the cipher is put together. And then I go in and actually I went and looked at um, a lot of the symbols given to us by religious uh, organizations, institutions, um, as well as secret societies and that sort of thing. And then kind of brought that back to uh, the human being 
and why why the human being is significant in this whole thing. So, so yeah, that's I, I know that's a that's an earful right there. But there's so many other places we can go as far as like you know why this is important um, and, and that sort of thing. So, did it change at all for it? Did your interests and point of views change at all since you've been starting this work? One hundred percent. Um, I think that alone, I would say, you know, my own personal experience and the the consciousness shift that uh-huh. I've had since undergoing this work has really been the, sort of the, you know, the, the catalyst or the, you know, the, the, the fire to um, really pursue this more and actually be more public about it, you know, actually right. do videos and lectures and that sort of thing and write books. So, Yes. I mean, there are things that have happened and um, synchronicity plays a, a large part of this, but there are things that happened that I started to notice throughout the years that got very intense, very, very intense. And I began to look at the world really in a completely different way than I had when I was, you know, in my early 20s and that sort of thing. And I don't think it was just because I'm getting old and more mature and that sort of thing that obviously plays a part of it. But um, the just undergoing this study completely changed my viewpoints on religion, spirituality, God, symbolism, um, my own place and role in this world, um, my own personal responsibility, how I view the previous lives and afterlife, that sort of, you know, that sort of thing. So that's really been one of the most um, important things that I actually want to share with people is uh, my own experience with undergoing this study and how occulted this study has actually been. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you saying in the lecture, and I even have notes left over from that, that how you found God through the scientific method. Yes, that's one. I mean, this is, this is something that was so important to me in undergoing you know, in that lecture, I kind of talked about how when in my mid 20s, I started asking a lot of like the big questions surrounding the human condition and the human experience. Like, what are we doing here? Is there a God? Is there a purpose to life? And that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was always and still am very um, an analytically minded, scientifically minded person. And for the longest time, I never even ventured into philosophy, religions and spirituality because I had always had that, you know, that scientific foundation. And at least with the modern paradigm of science, they kind of steer you away from that. You know, you get the Lawrence Krauss's and the Richard Dawkins and the Neil deGrasse Tyson's and, and you know, these kind of characters yeah. that basically say that's all hogwash and hooey. And so I stayed away from that. But it really was only when I went into these subjects with that scientific mind and then having mathematics as my base that I really started to put a lot of the pieces of the puzzle together. And that's what I'm trying to share with people. So nice. Does it end up at 42? <laughs> it does. It actually does. And let's talk about that. So one of the things. So before I had ever even, um, before I'd ever even like uncovered the cipher and 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 that sort of thing, I there was something about the study of mathematics, numerology, sacred geometry, that sort of thing that pointed to a lot of the constants in mathematics, mm-hmm. and those being. Uh, you know, look, looking at sacred geometrical archetypes being like the Vesca Pisces or the Holy Cross or, you know, that sort of thing. And then looking at some of the mathematical ratios being pi, e, um, phi, you know, the golden ratio, golden yeah. mean, that sort of thing. And one of them was pi. 
And, I, and one night I had this sort of flash and revelation on Pi about that. It was sort of like this uh, mathematical representation of the creation of our universe, to put it simply. And so that sort of flash or insight or moment of clarity or whatever the hell you wanted to really call it led to really studying Pi, something about the, the, the infinite ratio, its transcendence, the geometry around it. What was the symbol of Pi? And one of the things that I had noticed was that you can find pi in the number line. And this is something I feel like people have actually come to many, many, many times in in, in history. And that's if you just walk up the number line, um, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. And then the next three numbers are 13, 14, and 15. So three, well, 1, 4, 1, 5. Exactly. 3, 1, 4, 1, 5. And all you have to do is place a decimal place between the 13 and 14. And there's actually a whole, um, by squaring the numbers around that and mirroring them, there's a whole other aspect to this, but we're not going to go into that. But 13 plus 14 plus 15, exactly where you find pi in the number line equals 42. And of course, I studied, you know, Egyptology and and that sort of thing. And I knew 42 was, um, you know, the the principles of Mott, which which, uh, the Egyptians called the principles of, what are they, the the laws of truth and order of the universe. And for some reason, they had 42 principles. And so there was always this really big mystery on 42. And it was like, okay, well, it's got to be something that is right in front of us that we're just not noticing. And when I added those numbers together and saw 42, I was like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. And not only that, it points to one of the most mysterious and fundamental ratios in in mathematics. It almost sounds like... I was thinking about uh, when I was looking at your work and thinking about our chat here, Darren always brings up the digital universe theory or the simulation thing. And then when you mentioned pi being the mathematical representation of the universe, it's almost as if that's like the base code, some sort of part of the base code of, of everything, you know, is that the seed of life, yeah. <laughs> the flower of life is the base code. <laughs> I yeah. uh, or no, it's that little. It's that yeah, little yeah, the flower fucking, of life. No, it's not the flower. It's just the little stem of it. I forget what that's called. It's called the, the fucking Pisces something. No, he said a Vesica Pisces. The Vesica Pisces. That's yeah. right. Yeah. The Vesica Pisces, yeah, uh, is the two circles overlapping one another and creating a central womb, and then the the seed of life is actually the six petal like lotus flower, if you will. And um, the seed of life supposedly blooms into the flower of life. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I think the Vesca Pisces is like the background. It's kind of like the holodeck in the next generation. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, when you. <laughs> it's the very you, fabric that reality is printed on. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's actually a lot of truth to that. Um, because a lot of, when we talk about a matrix or that this is sort of a hologram simulation, that sort of th- thing where that's based off math, I think that um, we often have a very like mechanistic view of when we say that because of our view of numbers. But really, to me, when I study numbers and, and let um, let the baggage off of the educational system and really just explore this with every faculty I had being my left and right hemisphere, my brain, my creative side, my analytical side, I realized that mathematics, just like many um, sages and philosophers and theologians throughout time, realized that mathematics is a language and it is the language of creation. It's a language of a creator. So when we talk about this creation being made with mathematical principles, mathematical archetypes, Vesca Pisces, seed of life, flower of life, pi, phi, et cetera, et cetera, that this... 
I mean, I'm, this, there's a, an element that we're being very serious that like literally our world is created with these things and it is sort of a mathematical matrix. The problem is there, like I said, there's a little disconnect when people see numbers as very cold, dry, dead artifacts of the creation as mm-hmm. opposed to sort of the lifeblood of yeah. it, that these um, numbers in and of itself are principles, um, you know, that, that uh, govern the world and that we can actually come to understand our world better through this study. Well, it's, the only, it's kind of the only thing that, I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, I don't want to the say it's a tangible? universal language, but it's the only thing that kind of, it can transcend time and culture. and and culture and probably, you know, interstellar. You know what I mean? It doesn't fucking matter. Any, math is math is math. It's, that's the one thing that I think is an absolute in, in many respects, because when you look at every other culture that has existed on this planet, however long we've been here, um, you know, math is going to be math. One plus one is going to be two. You know, the the angle of a, a square with a side of one is going to be the square root of two. It's just always going to be that way. So it doesn't matter what culture. It doesn't matter if they had a written language and uh, that you know just an oral tradition. If they had a, a if they were highly civilized and had a series of symbols that you know how much they knew about astrophysics and blah 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 all of that. Um, you know, math is the cornerstone. That's the one thing that is universal without question. So what makes pi so special? Like, what is it about the relationship from the diameter to the circumference that 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 is so profound? Well, this is the universe and the creator, in my opinion, speaking to us, because when we ask like that question, what's so profound about it is the fact that it is so profound. Why is it that the a simple line and a circle finding the ratio between these two things why isn't it just like hey the number three right why isn't it three why is it we get this endless string of non-repeating decimals 3.14159265358 blah 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 you know why isn't it just something simple why isn't it a round number why is it that because of pi we can never fully um truly 100% find the area of a circle because at some point we have to approximate pi you know, to me, these are direct questions through mathematics given to mankind in order to penetrate his world philosophically, theologically, spiritually, symbolically, that sort of thing. And so to me, Pi is one of these sort of um, big mysteries, questions, conundrums that is that is granted to mankind in, in an effort to try to understand his world. And I think that's why the Egyptians actually focused on it. Um, I, I agree with Frank C. Higgins, who is a Masonic scholar, who who calls it, the, you know, the word of God, that literally that there's a creator, this creator speaks a language, that language is mathematics, and the word that it is speaking when it came to create this, this entire universe is pi. And of course, we see this, this um, transcendental word, this, this word of God, this omnific word, whatever you want to call it. Within, you know, um, the Hinduism, you know, with Om, you see it in the Bible, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The Mayans even talked about it in the Chalam Balam um, in their creation story. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense that if there is some sort of word, if you will, of God, that it's going to be a mathematical a mathematical ratio or number. And what better candidate than Pi? Did you ever see that movie Pi back in the 90s? Sure. Yeah. Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Great, great film. I remember that came out at the same time as B and John Malkovich. Hmm. 
Yeah, two movies that will twist your head up, huh? Yeah, pretty I don't think much. I ever yeah. saw it. I should probably watch it. I think it's yeah. like, if I recall correctly, he <clears throat> so he solves it, doesn't he? And then the world starts falling apart. No, um, he kind of goes crazy at the end um, because he's. Um, well, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I don't need a spoiler alert. If, if I remember correctly, oh, he yeah, doesn't better solve not it at spoil the spoil it for girls. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't <laughs> care. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but at the end, like it's like he's looking for this specific singular equation that's going to, you know, answer all of his questions for him, that sort of thing. And so, you know, and Pi is one of these, uh, you know, obviously a big focus. And I think he ends up putting a drill in his head at the end because he kind of goes that's crazy. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, someone that's not, um, I, I think, uh, one of the, uh, lessons of that film, at least that I got from it is that you have to bring a little bit of spirituality, creativity, that sort of thing to the study of mathematics, that the world isn't some equation you're just going to spit out and, and therefore you understand the world. Math is going to help you understand the world, but pi in and of itself is actually telling you that, Hey, you're never really going to have all the answers of the world. In, in, in just the fact that it's an infinite transcendental number, you're never going to see the tail end of pi. So that means in one respect, you're never going to have all the answers to this existence. You know, I like and that I as a metaphor for the singularity. You're never going to, I mean, if you can't figure out pi, how the fuck are you going to put yourself on a robot or how are you going to create, you know, we can't even figure out pi. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I have little, you know, loads of issues with the, you know, concept of transhumanism and and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a deep philosophy and a theology behind Pi. And um, one of those things is that I think everybody, not everybody, but there's a lot of truth seekers that want all of the answers of the world. And I think one of the things that you come to is in in a in a open and honest and earnest study of the world and, and God and your experience and things like that is that you're, you're going to live and die and you're never going to have all of the answers, you know what I mean? To this existence. And that's something that you just kind of have to live with and be and, and accept, you know, um, because man is um, a limited creature with a limited time frame and uh, limited abilities, you know? What, I wonder if like quantum computing, I wonder if that'll figure out why. What if it's un yeah. unknowable? Maybe it just goes on forever. I mean, that's an option too, right? Well, I mean, if if you look at it as technically, like, a, like, doesn't like a third, doesn't a third go on forever? Yeah, you know, point three, 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 et cetera. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of infinite numbers in creation. And to me, that actually just says that in, in some respect, even if it's just psychologically, you know, or uh, in, in your head, if you will, that there is an infinity to creation. Um, infinity is a funny word though, too, because infinity actually says, uh, in finite. So infinite is in finite. Well, finite is something small, right? It's finite. It's small. And so you have this concept of in going within or being within something and you have infinity. So this grandness of the infinite is in the small. Well, when you look at, um, fractals or the idea of a holographic universe that the, the big is in the small and the small is in the large a man is made in the image of god everything that's above is below that sort of idea well you know probing this philosophically probing the math philosophically and and the language that th there's a lot of truth to that i think huh. so how did you come how did you come across Pi, as you, when you started this when you started your cipher and all that how did how, when when was the point when pi became really 
really relevant. And then also I want you to think about, Dan, we're going to ask you about your synchronicity later on. So keep that in the back of your head if, if anything pops up. <laughs> sure. Um, I think anyone that goes into this study with an open mind is being the study of mathematics, numerology, sacred geometry, things like that, is obviously going to come to these fundamental ratios, being phi, being um, phylotaxis, being pi. Why? Because they're cornerstones of the creation in and of itself. Hmm. Anytime you go to find the area of a circle or do some trigonometry or things like that, you have to deal with these things. And so if you're going to, and the, the, I, I, I feel like anybody that, like I said, makes an earnest um, you know, probing of this of these subjects is going to end up coming to those things and saying, well, what, you know, what is this? Why we see phi within animals. We see it within plants. We see it within the human body. We see it in, you know, all of these different things, the golden mean, golden, golden ratio. A lot of people are, are hip to this through, you know, um, you know, the internet is spread sacred Fibonacci Fridays. Yeah, exactly. That sort of thing. Obviously, if you go into this study, you're going to be like, well, that to me is a signature of intelligence. You know, I mean, if there was an intelligence in creation, it, it would use something simple and use that simplicity and just, you know, spread it far and wide. Well, that's exactly what we find. Right. So that's I mean, you see, like I said, you know, the Fibonacci Definitely sequence seems to is point to design. I, I, I mean, that's the conclusion I came to, you know, um, without question. Um, so and then obviously so. You know, phi is going to be important. And of course, pi is going to be important. So when I started looking at pi, I mean, one of the things that struck me right away is like, you know, something we already just covered. Why is it that here's all you're doing is drawing a circle and a line and getting the ratio between these two? Why should it be infinite? What's what's going on there? You know, so that made me focus a, a lot on pi. So that made me you know, I ended up splitting pi in half and looking at the decimals and then, you know, adding up the decimals in 10 digits and then, you know, 23 digits and 44, you know, blah, blah, blah. And eventually just a, a constant study of the material. I think the natural intelligence of the creation sort of came out of it. And that's the only way I can really explain it. When that natural intelligence within the, the study in and of itself, within the study of math in and of itself was kind of bounding out, that's when, you know, I've always had synchronicities in my life. I think a lot of people have. Obviously, Carl Jung was a guy, a psychologist that really brought it out and saying, hey, man, people are having this all over the world. This is something that we should really focus on. When I was studying math and have continued to study math, of course, these things just pop out more and more and more and more. And there are things that are just unexplainable, you know, and then you and then if you have an analytical mind, you have to say, well, that's just you know, that's just apophenia. That's just pareidolia. That's just you putting things together and making meaning out of life where there is no meaning. And that is something that in a truly honest scientific pursuit, you have to put on the table as a consideration. But then when you have week, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after fucking year of these things, then you have to say, wait a minute. No, I'm having an emotional response to these things. There are things that are just happening that are are just beyond, you know, the, Patterns, the simple, yeah. nuts and yeah, nuts and bolts story and paradigm that we're being fed by modern science. And that's I think that is um something that happens to a lot of people. I'm sure I'm sure it's happened to you guys as well. Yeah, man, we talk about it on the show all the time too. It just it's, it seems like a lot of our guests <clears throat> have had uh synchronicities play a part in in their whole path, the change in their path. Like the, even the research that we're, we talk to them about, like seems to start 
with some pretty crazy personal experiences or synchronicities. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me give you an example. The first, the first podcast I ever did it was a, it was a podcast called what was it called? Serious Wonder by this guy Gray Scott, and um, you know he he bought my book. And he said, Great hey, man, Scott. Gray, <laughs> wouldn't that be cool if that was his name? No, Gray was his first name, Gray Scott. And um, now he focuses a lot on like technology and transhumanism and that sort of thing. But before it was very um, philosophical and that sort of thing. First podcast I ever did talking about the first book, you know, I was pretty nervous and things like that. And I woke up that morning, um, like in the middle of the night, and I went to the, the, the kitchen to get a glass of water. And I look at the clock and it was 3.13. Now, this is the day before the podcast. And I look at the clock. I'm like, oh, shit, wouldn't that be awesome if it it was 3.14 that I woke up? And sure enough, as soon as I thought that, it clicked to 3.14. (laughs) So here I am going to my first podcast. You know, I'm nervous. I'm talking about pie. I wake up in the middle of the night. It's not like I set an alarm or anything. I just wake up from a dead sleep, go into the kitchen, and all of a sudden pie shows up. You know, that's just a you know one example out of myriad, myriad examples I can give of of weird synchronicities like that. You know, I could have woke up at three forty six or something, and then what, what what would I say about that? I don't know, nothing. I have nothing to say about that really. You know, so it's things like that that really started to. Um, um, you know, further my pursuit and, and say, Hey, yeah, this, this is making sense. You know? Yeah. Did you find that it, it sort of means that you might be on your path or you're finding your, your, your passion or your way or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, the, the purpose of my existence became very clear and, um, it's crystal clear now I would say, mm-hmm. um, yeah, even in this crazy mixed up world. <laughs> so, so let's get into, well, actually I have a question uh, but I want to, we got to get into how your cipher works as well. So people kind of can sort of understand and follow along what we're talking about. But as far as the language being like you, you connected Pi with, with your cipher and, and you basically converted all these words into math through your cipher. <clears throat> um, did that, did those answers and did that make you think that, the coincidences there and the relevance of all that was um, intentional or, or, or is the, like you talked about realizing that there's some sort of creative force at, at all, all of this. So is that a deeper, I'm trying to explain this. Is that a, is that the deeper um, genesis of, of these language and math kind of synchronicities or, or was somebody using this back then do you, not, do you understand what I'm saying? Is it is it a human intentional thing or is it a deeper thing? Oh, man, that's it's that's a fantastic question. That's a question that I, I just have to be honest. I do not have an answer for um, because and I mean, if I if I had an answer, I would just say one word: magic. Yeah, I don't have any other answer for yeah. it than magic. Do I feel like this cipher at one point was? was created, um, but you know, by, by the hands of man. Yes. I also feel that the, the people that did create this were very, very in tune with their environment. They were very in tune with what was going on Mm -hmm. mathematically, symbolically. They were in tune with the, the natural world and the natural principles, the laws of nature that are the outflowing expressions of the laws of creator. They were living in 
um, uh, accord with that, in harmony with those things. And I think in the mystical tradition anyway, when you do live in accord with those things, that's when the, and here's the word again, that's when the magic really starts happening. And so when we look, when I look back at um, whoever created the cipher, whether it was bequeathed to man, given to him by the gods, you know, created by a group of alchemists, astrologers, mathematicians, whatever it is, philosophers, theologians, I don't know, because we don't really have that objective record of history. When I look at the creation of this cipher, the only thing that makes the thing that makes the most sense to me is that these people were in tune with that creative force. And this allowed them to do to actually create such a, a fantastic piece of of um, of linguistic art, if you will. That's the only way I can explain. It. Oh, I, I like that. And, and it makes sense to me in, in some weird way that that uh, the more open that society was to nature and the more in tune they were with spirituality, that it almost uh, enables that magic to happen more. And as we close down society, like then it just, it just stops happening in certain sectors. Yeah, the force doesn't work so much. The f- yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah. It's the dark side <laughs> comes around too much. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, that's a, it's, it's a great way to explain it. I mean, you could, you know, let's just for for the sake of this conversation, throw this cipher, this the, you know the English language. Let's just throw it out the window here for what we're discussing. Right. When you look at the you know the Native American cultures that lived for thousands of years, as far as we know, on this continent, North America, that being you know they were obviously a very very mystical culture, and they were obviously very in tune with their environment. Whether they had to be just out of pure survival sake, or they just were because they understood. God. They understood that great spirit, that great force. Um, I, I, of course, take the, the latter position there. But, um, you know, I, I think that when you do live in um, in harmony with the laws of creation, then that's like, as you were saying, that enables people to actually, you know, lift themselves up out of the the material crud that is, you know, this this the, the lower nature. Of humanity, you know, and that allows them to do these sort of magical, um, the, these magical things, you know. Yeah, and it also it, may, it might enable you just to collect collectively connect, like the con, you know, the collective consciousness consciousness type of thing. Like maybe if you're, if that energy is there and it's all open, and it just enables people to connect easier, you know, to tap in to tap into what right now is like, it's hard to get to because of the distractions and the. And the you know the our conditioning and how we're brought up, so yeah, yeah that's that's fascinating. So let's talk about the cipher then it, itself, like um, and some of the the things you found out. Okay, first um, first and foremost, this is something that uh, I'm not trying to harp on you guys or anything here, but this is something that I, I really really like to make clear whenever this gets brought up is that this I don't consider this like my cipher. I don't. Uh, one of the things I oh, kind of a mantra I like to say is that. You know, the devil loves the materialist because possession comes from one's possession, possessions, you know. Um, I like to, you know, uh, one thing I, I really like to stress is that I feel like this is an artifact of history that has been that has been um, occulted or obfuscated or whatever, hidden within the language by these people of the past, knowing that, the, the you know, the future of this world might be 
you know, might end up in shambles. It might end up in the sort of detriment that we're in right now and that would be able to be uncovered later. And so I always like to say this is this is our cipher. You know, I certainly don't like to take possession of it. I, I always refuse when people say this is the lead cipher. No, I don't I don't take that position at all. I don't really believe that any of this material belongs to anyone. I think it's humanities. Um, so let me just say that. Um and then what was your question? <laughs> um, it was about uh, what it is actually like, like how I know it's hard to describe it to people over the, over the air, but let's just give them an idea of like what it is and how, how you like, how you lined everything up. And then, and then uh, <laughs> some of the, and then, and then we can get into some of the stuff you found out. Cause it really does. It really is quite amazing. There's a few chapters in your book there, you know, there's like 111 and you come up, there's a lot of trends that you kind of pick up on with, with how you, decode these words in ancient and modern English and other languages, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is, um, the way the, the, you know, when I first uncovered the cipher, it literally came out in about two minutes. It just sort of happened. And, and I didn't really even know what I had at the time. I spent many months, you know, trying to go over it and, and explore and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And so I really didn't know what I had. And it was only, after a while, I really kind of, it really hit me how, you know, what this thing was. So um, the cipher in and of itself is built off natural principles within creation. And we'll go over those. So the first thing we have is the 26 letters of the English alphabet. Yeah. And, it, you know, A, B, C, D, D, E, blah, 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 to Z. Everyone knows it. So the first thing I did was just realize that, okay, well, um, the alphabet has 26 letters. I was just going to cut the thing in half, split it in half. And immediately when I did that, I was like, oh, there's 13 over here and 13 over here. For some reason, that just made sense. Why? Because of this kind of idea of the unity of opposites, this um, coincidentia appositorum in creation, that there is a, a um, unified duality that, that makes up creation, a positive and negative. Yin and yang. Yin and yang, Shiva and Shakti, male and female, sun and moon, as above, so below, that sort of concept. So that's something that's obviously just um, interwoven and, and, and uh, prevalent in just the, you know, our, our everyday experience. So I cut the alphabet in half, A through M and N through Z. And then I literally was, you know, I had been studying, you know, elements of the Bible and the mystic sort of cryptic interpretation of the Bible. And I and it always struck me, um, you know, opening pages of Genesis, you have this idea that God did his work in six days and rested on the seventh. And I took that motif or that idea and I just threw it on the alphabet. And so went A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and I went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and I stopped there. And once again, as soon as I did that, I was like, okay, wait a second, that makes sense because I had studied, you know, a lot of Freemasonry. It's, you know, read Manly P. Hall and, and cats like that. And obviously the Freemasonic Square encompasses has the G in the center. So I stopped there saying, oh, well, God did his work in six days, rest on the seventh. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to go back and I'm not going to go up to 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. And just to create symmetry, I went 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So H-I-J-K-L-M uh, is 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And once again, as soon as I did that, I was like, oh, that just looks right. It just makes a lot of sense. And that mirroring and that symmetry goes right along with splitting the alphabet. You know, What number I mean, are we at now? What letter are we at? Um, this is A through M. And so basically I go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, being A, B, C, D, E, F, G. G. And then yep. M. And then no, then you go H, I, J, K, L, M. And then so then you just from that G you walk back down to six, five, four, three, two, one. 
So A is 1, B is 2, C is 3, D is 4, E is 5, F is 6, G is 7, and then H is 6, I is 5, J is et cetera, et cetera. Then you go to M. So 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Well, it looks like the Hanukkah thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's um, that's one of the symbols you can actually use to decode this. As, and I came, as I came to find, there's tons of symbols. And maybe we could talk about that after we go over the cipher here that actually show this very clearly in, in, some, in symbology. So split the alphabet in half, one, one to seven, seven back down to one. I had that on the left side, A through M. And so I was like, you know what? I'm creating symmetry in this alphabet. I'm just going to throw those numbers out of you know, sheer elegance and simplicity. I'm just going to take those numbers and throw them on the other side of the alphabet. So N-O-P-Q-R-S-T is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then U-B-W-X-Y-Z is six, five, four, three, two, one. And so the whole alphabet, as far as I, the, you know, the claim that I'm making was constructed very simply, very, like I said, elegantly. It's only using the numbers one through seven, a septenary system. And using this sort of mirroring and symmetry that we see within nature, I mean, you know, almost everything in nature, like in, including your human body has this mirroring principle. So all of that just made sense to me. And so I realized right there, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to start. I looked at simple words like Lord and God and, you know, real and sun and, you know, stuff like that. And I started right away, things were popping out. See, and it was not like there was no force fit there. It was just things like, oh God, that makes sense, you know? And so, so that's really the cipher in, in a nutshell. So that points to the entire English language being made kind of by design? I, I, I think so. Because um, that wouldn't be the same with, say, Japanese. No. And this is, this is an important point. A lot of people actually ask this question because we have so many different languages. And we know that a lot of these languages have you know, a different number of letters. So Hebrew has 22, you know, and then the five finals, so 22 and 27, you know, um, I think Greek has 24, Latin, I think has 23, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously the same cipher is not going to work on other languages. You know, the abjad letters in um, Arabic, I'm, I'm not sure how many letters they have, but they have, you know, we have remaining ciphers for Hebrew. We have remaining ciphers for Greek. We have remaining ciphers for, you know, Arabic. So, and obviously they're different. So to me, that says that languages at some point were created, whether that was to, who knows why, enslave humanity, enlighten humanity, you know, get out of some linguistic construct that was created by some, you know, king or queen or who knows. Right? Yeah, I'd be curious to know if it was just English. And then the next thing you'd wonder about is if, I mean, obviously people must have been speaking English already and then they... they they just did the code for the and developed a new language for that, the written language or was the entire English language just made? So this is, this is once again, I just don't have an answer for it. Um, when you look at old English and you look at middle English, these are, these are spoken very differently. There's different, you know, the words are formed differently. There's different, you know, they put words together and, and, and say things like they string sentences together differently. So when you look at the history of the English language, the modern English language that we're using right now, we can really tie it back to about, you know, uh, this is a, you know, this is a rough time frame, but you're talking maybe mid 1500s, 1600s. Why? 
Well, you had at this time, you had the first um, English dictionaries being printed. I think they were, the first was printed in like 1607 or something like that. You had the Bible translated from the original Greek, meticulously translated from the original Greek by King James and his supposedly 72 translators. So you had that going on at the time. And this was about six, I think, 1611, 1617, somewhere around there. You also had, um, I mean, this, uh, I mean, a sort of a, an enlightenment or a rebirth of science. Um, alchemy was huge at this time. Some of the greatest alchemists that have ever lived, Athanasius Kircher, Michael Mayer, uh, you can go on and on about that, were happening, you know, around this time. You also had um, the foundation of Freemasonry. Freemasonry is well known, the modern day, you know, uh, Freemasonry and the, the rituals and, and that sort of thing, uh, the symbols was pretty much established around the 1600s. And you also had one of the greatest literary figures of all time living at this time being William Shakespeare, who even in modern academia will tell you that the Bible and William Shakespeare, which once again, this is right around the 1600s, created or gave us so much of the modern English language that we use today. So when I look at the history, when I look at the what a mathematical, a very exact mathematical um, uh, construction of the English alphabet, to me, it really points to that. No, this was created at this time. And then oh, there was, you know, there was a widespread adoption of this language by the people of, of Europe at the time. Um, and it was based on, once again, mathematical f fundamentals, mathematical constants based on, um, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. So to me, that just makes the most amount of sense. Isn't that beyond the realm of fucking possibility for people at that time? No, well, no. I mean, to this develop is the, a whole language and then start learning it. No, I mean, this is the thing that people, I, I, people have said this before. But you have to understand. I mean, you all know, you know who Gene Roddenberry is, right? Yeah. Here's one man that created an entire language called Klingon, and if you go to a Star Trek convention, you will have people conversing only in Klingon. So yeah. here's one dude literally in our time that created an entire language that people speak today. Now, if you had a congregation of people within, you know, um, even with, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm speculating here, of course, but even within a couple hundred miles that all of a sudden this is created and all of a sudden adopted by a lot of people, that's really not that far-fetched at all. Think about how quick people learn to use cell phones. Think about how quick people learn to use the computer if people are hungry and people want to adopt a new language for whatever reason that is, once again, we can speculate on that, then they're going to learn it very quick. And we also see that languages are, as far as I see, even though there is an evolution of language, new words are formed, different dialects are created, that sort of thing. Language yeah, in of itself, alphabets in and of itself seem to be fully formed, you know, and have and actually last for thousands and hundreds of years, you know, hundreds and thousands of years, English being one of them, you know? Yeah. I guess it's not that far fetched when you consider it done the same thing with calendars and, you know, it's like the Freemasons had all those even secret, there's like shit built into the units of measurement, like the mile and the yard and all that stuff. I guess. Yeah. Like I mean, a, yeah. I mean, think about, yeah, I mean, exactly. So when you think about, we should start a language. Up, we should. We should. We'll call it the Grammarican. Yeah. <laughs> um, to start. <laughs> yeah. 
don't look to me. I ain't no, that smart. No, so. no, no, no. How many letters? Well, I have 33 letters. Exactly. <laughs> 33 letters. You know, I was just about to say with masonry, when you just said about um, encoding things, you know, within measurements and things, when you look at the 32 and 33 degrees of Scottish Rite masonry, 32 isn't a very important number. Um, adding one through 32. So just using simple arithmetic and walking up a number line being adding one plus two plus three plus four, et cetera, all the way to 32, you get the number 528. Well, this is a, a multiple of 10 would give you 5,280, which is the number of feet in a mile. So, you Isn't know, that half a megabyte. Yeah, I, right. Yeah. 528. What is happening? What are you doing? Hello? No, sorry. Not you, Marty. Oh, yeah. There was a, some feedback there or something? Oh, I had one of your YouTube channels on there and it get popped onto the TV. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries. So, yeah, you know, as I was saying, the, you know, adding one through 32 gives you, you know, 528. Multiply that by 10 and you have the number of feet in English mile. And you say, well, where did the English mile come from? Well, I mean, you could say it's somebody just made it up. It was based off some king's foot or something like that. Yeah. Or you could just add, you know, and obviously the number 32 and 33 are something that transcend masonry. You know, I don't know how many people. You know, they look at, you know, like my website is MartyLeaves33.com. They see a number and they assume, you know, that it's, it has something to do directly with the Illuminati or something. It's like, no, we're just talking about math here, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jesus lived to 33 years. Does that mean that Jesus was part of the Illuminati and like to drink goat's blood or something? You know, it's like that, that sort of thing. It's really it's really kind of silly when you when you um, when you bring a rational mind to it, you know. So what were some of the other the big revelations then if when you started to use this cipher and in, in some of the more important texts or, or terms? Um, okay, so one of the ones that was really, that struck me right away is, um, well, and this is... Or how do you like to start to describe this to people, I guess? I don't need an answer to that specific question, but like, you can say it how, you know, whatever order you, you want. Yeah, I mean, when when going to explain this to people, it kind of depends on how much they're willing to listen, how much patience they have, and how much they're willing to learn themselves. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, explaining the cipher in and of itself is, you know, I mean, I could, I could, we could talk for two hours just on the construction of the cipher, why the number seven is important, why you know that sort of thing before we even put any numbers to any letters of any words. You know, and so really it's kind of just how deep you want to go into the subject. When I try to explain is like tersely to people and try to give them some, you know, some some meat to grab, you know, uh, to chew on yeah, yeah. where they'll, they'll go forward with it is simple things like when you look at, um, for instance, the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible gives two names, two specific names of um, God and those being Lord and God. Well, Lord in the cipher is L-O-R-D, which is 2254. This equals 13, very superstitious, unlucky number. And then God, you have 724. G-O-D is 724. Well, this equals 13. Mm -hmm. So you have the two names, Lord and God, in the Bible. And you add those up, being Lord God, which is this sort of you know Yahweh kind of figure. You have Lord God being 26. Well, there's 26 letters of the English alphabet, and we split the alphabet in 13 and 13. 
So right there, that was one of the first things I did that I was like, well, wow, that's, I mean, there's just such a perfect parallel between those two words and how the the language is constructed in and of itself. And once again, remind, you know, I'm reminding you that the Bible was translated at this time as well. So if there was um, a group of people that were creating the alphabet, constructing this particular cipher, and also translating the Bible, they were obviously going to encode these sorts of things within the mathematical text, the mathematical, you know, the, the construction of the Bible, you know. So Lord God equals 26, 26 letters of the English alphabet, 13 and 13. Pretty beautiful to me. Um Interesting thing is that then you can go right to Hebrew and see that um, the Tetragrammaton, um, which is the holy name of God in the Hebrew, is He Vav He Yad. You, um, a lot of times it's read backwards or whatever, but um, this is um, uh, what is it five ten five six, and um, I think I got those numbers mixed up. But it's five ten five six. This equals twenty six. Hmm. So the Tetragrammaton in Hebrew, holy name of God equals twenty six. You go to English, it equals 26, and there's 26 letters in the English alphabet. And uh, this is where I like remind people that tetragrammaton, tetra means four, and there's four characters, the he, vav, he, yad. Um, and then he is five, uh, vav is six, he is five, yad is 10. I'll clarify that. It's 26, tetra means four, so the four characters. And then grammaton is where, it's the word grammar. That's where we get the word grammar. Hmm. So you have this idea of this holy name of God, and it seems to be stuck in the language. And so it would, and then of course we talked earlier about the fact that this this God, this God character, this true, this great spirit, or whatever you want to call it, is using mathematics as his language. Well, then we should probably find it somewhere in our language and in the math. Interesting. Yeah. Very. So did you stick with the that some of the religious texts for a while there? I always had a um I can't say always, but um I don't know it, it was it just the like I said like in my mid 20s when I was, you know, before that I had really focused on science and I stayed away from religions and because it was just I could never wrap my head around religions. Mm-hmm. And then I read this um this fantastic book and it's called a History of God, and it's by Karen Armstrong, I believe is her name. And it's basically this book of, that goes through the history of God, what, you know, native cultures thought, what, you know, Islam thinks and, you know, Christianity and stuff like that. And it gave me this completely different perspective about, you know, it really kind of um, drew away from this sort of literalist view of God that so yeah, many people yeah. have. It's yeah. just some bearded guy in the sky kind of thing. And so that really sort of really piqued my interest in studying theology. And so then I went and I, I looked and one of the things that I did find, especially after uncovering the cipher, was that it was, I mean, and I, and I understood this before that, but it really, you know, like I said, it drove my interest more, was that so many of these texts being the Quran, you know, the Holy Bible, you know, especially the Quran, the Holy Bible, were very clearly written mathematically, that there was a mathematical cipher behind these languages and that these holy books were written mathematically. And this is something that's very, very strong in um, when you look in a deep mystical Kabbalistic, especially Kabbalistic study, that there, there's no question there. And so to me, it was like, okay, well, if the English language was translated, you know, I mean, if the, if the, the Holy Bible was translated by King James into English, well, then, of course, there was going to be math behind it as well. And that's what, you know, 
that's personally what I found, you know, so in one way, not even one way, the, the one of the major claims that I'm trying to make is that, hey, we can deconstruct the Holy Bible, the English translation of the King James Holy Bible now mathematically, because this cipher is actually cryptically encoded within the book itself. Wow. So has, do you think that'll, that'll happen? Will somebody do that? Or have you done that? Thank well, you. I mean, it, it takes whoever did it. I mean, uh, this 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 always points to to me it shows how absolutely brilliant our ancestors were and i think this is something that i know you guys have explored on this show um you know though i think we're starting to realize that there's been a long history a long very sordid history of uh, humanity on this planet and that it has gone through major ebbs and flows of their intelligence and their connection to source if you will yeah and so i think at one point in history whenever this group of people group of alchemists theologians, sages, philosophers, whatever, whoever they, they were, um, you know, these were very, very intelligent people, very, very intelligent people. And they knew what they were doing. And they didn't have distractions like TV and the, you know, the yeah, whole yeah. stimuli of our world. Yeah. You know, we could focus all day on, you know, <laughs> math and, and it would be very not only entertaining, but um, spiritually enlightening as well. Like, I wonder if you, dec- if you decoded the whole, let's say the Bible, and you'd put that through a computer program, computer program or something. If if there would be any crazy patterns or any interesting, interesting things, like if it really was created with that intention, you know, wonder if you looked at it overall, you know, what you would see. There, there's. I mean, yes, I think you would find that. And I mean, this is the thing I always try to relate people because you know I've been asked this before. I've you know try to relate to people is that you know I'm one guy that's doing this. And I'm actually asking for help. Anybody that's actually really interested in this, that knows computer programming and things like that, that would do that. I also think that there's a, you know, you might find, you might find patterns, you might find that sort of thing. But I also think that there's, um, there's something about going through it line by line yourself and decoding this that actually brings out something that is rather unspeakable. Um, And it's something I did for a long time. And even though I have a, a, a great reverence for all of these religions and um, I have, you know, I, I have studied the Holy Bible, that's not my only interest. You know, I don't want to spend the rest of my life just digging through that thing and doing math. Have I done that quite a bit? Yes. <laughs> a lot. I mean, just even last week I was doing it, you know. And so um, that's important to me. But I also want to look at all the other things in this world, you know, some of the secret societies, the, what do some of the symbols mean, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Also use this cipher on modern day things, um, you know, um, and, and try to show to people that this thing is still being used. Yeah, yeah. And it has been occulted. And if there are these sort of, um, you know, elite people or whatever, if they are using the cipher, that to me points to um, that there's something very interesting going on, to say the least. Yeah. Could it be a coincidence? I mean, or just this, one of those like little rules. This is where, um, you know, I did this the Sync Summit um, a few years back with the, with the guys of the Sync Book Press there, and uh, Ezra Sanzer Bell. Um, he did this really great speech where he talked about that when people say coincidence and they say synchronicity. They're really kind of saying the same thing. They're almost like, you know, um, they're almost synonymous with one another when you really get down to the definition. So when we say um, coincidence, 
you know, there is certainly, I think, some coincidences where this cipher wasn't used or somebody didn't know it and they just wrote a word and it has a meaning to it. Absolutely. I would also say that there are things that I personally found within um, governments of the world, things like that, that uh, I don't think that they're a coincidence at all. I think they're absolutely 100% calculated and, um, you know, uh, purpose, purposely done, you know. I wonder, it'd be interesting if you could get in touch with someone that's, if they tried it with any different languages. Like if it's well, in people, English, like English and French have always been kind of back and forth. I wonder if there's any weird things with the French language. You know, interestingly enough, um, like does, it's, does French it's, use the same letters? Yeah. Like, yes, um, they do. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing I actually am writing about in this next book. And one thing I had found out on the tour, um, one thing that I had elaborated on, the main thing that I had elaborated on in the speech I found out that the exact, not the exact same mathematics, but the sum of what I was discussing in the French language was the exact same thing. And to me, and I obviously I can't elaborate on it here because it would take another 20 minutes or whatever, but people can go and watch um, the uh, the lecture. It was, uh, I, it's on my site. It's called uh, Marty Lee's Live at the Isabel Theater. Okay. And the the French language and the English language, the exact same, the, the exact same sum. Of the of this phenomenon, I was looking at, and to me, to, for that to be a coincidence, I you know, it's th- th- that claim would be absurd. I would actually challenge a, a statistician to look at the variance of these two languages, the letters that are used, and then find out what the stats would be. What you know, is this one in a trillion? Would this be one in you know? I know it would be very large. Yeah. It would be so much more, so much more so than the mathematics behind chess. You know, because chess is you're only using 64 squares. There's only certain moves. And yet you basically have an infinite number of moves within chess. Well, this goes even further and says, not only do you have infinite, not infinite, but a certain amount of letters with particular numbers, but you have these letters put together in words in different languages. And yet you still get the same sum. Like I said, I'm not a statistician, but I would love to see somebody that could actually put this into a, a computer program and get the actual, you know, the, the chances of this happening, I think, are astronomical, you know. So so when you when you decoded some of the, let's say, the Bible, for example, you would add up the words, add up, and then you would add up the sentences as well, and then the paragraphs and the pages, or would you do, how far would you go with that? Because there's a lot of interesting sentences and phrases that, that equal 111, like you've got that chapter called the 11 which is pretty incredible. Yeah, there's um, the, the one I, you know, when we talk about giving uh, people some meat to chew on kind of thing to start this, the first one that I that I found was just unbelievable was Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Um, when you put the number one, this has 44 letters. So... 44 letters, which is um, 44 divided by 14 is pi. It's it's a it's a rough approximation of pi being 3.142. Um, we could go into that a little bit, but immediately that was pretty interesting. I also found that it has t- it's 10 words in 44 letters. Well, you have 10 fingers um, in the Hebrew site or in the Hebrew um, version of the Bible. This this Genesis one one has actually 28 letters. 28 letters. So you have 28 phalanges of your hands. So I found it really interesting that you have 10 fingers and the phalanges of your hands are these little segments or sections that your fingers are, are you know, segmented in. 
two on your thumb, three on each finger, 14 on your left hand, 14 on your right, giving you 28. Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew, 28 letters. Genesis 1-1 in English, 10 words, 10 fingers, 28 phalanges. That was pretty remarkable. Then um, I looked and I said, um, okay, so I'm going to put the numbers to letters of in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, this equals 190. And I was like, okay, well, you know, we could look at that. The, um, the lines, the lines, faces, and points of all five of the platonic solids equal 190. So it's like 14, 26, 26, and uh, I think 62 and 62, I want to say, or something like that. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But these being, you know, dodecahedron, octahedron, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Cube, yeah. The cube, et cetera. Uh, most people know those. So 190, I was like, okay, well, that's, you know, 190 there, 190 there. And so I was like, okay, well, pi obviously has a lot to do with this. There's 10 words in the English language. I mean, 10 words in that first verse, excuse me. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to go to the first 10 digits of pi and I'm going to add them up. So those 10 digits, just as you would speak them, would be 3.14159-2653. Added those up equals 190. So I'm like, okay, Genesis 1-1 equals 190. It's 10 words. You look at 10 digits of pi, it equals 190. The five platonic solids equal 190. When you actually look at the exact geometry to create these solids, which have been known since, you know, how long? Who even knows? If somebody was going to, um, you know, um, encode this, I would, the only thing I could think of was how absolutely brilliant it would be to encode these fundamentals of geometry, fundamentals of pi, et cetera, et cetera. It just made a lot of sense to me. And then once again, I would go, I kept going back to this thing that we just talked about. What would the chances of all that coming together be, you know, statistically, once again, astronomical? I mean, I think if you were going to argue that this is all just chance or coincidence, you wouldn't have a lot of ground to argue, in my opinion. You know, I I like the one, the one eleven, because the one eleven is an important number to a lot of people. Is it? Yeah, it's the one hundred and eight. Well, that too. Well, that's this is this is the interesting thing too is that when you get (laughs) in the study of numbers, you. There's numbers that pop up that you'll see again and again. And people, even if you don't study math or you, you know, have no relationship to any of this stuff, gematria, numerology, you know, that sort of thing, people will tell you, oh, I see 11-11 all the time. I see, you know, I see 222 all the time, you know, um, 333. People wake up, they call it the witching hour, you know, but tons of people wake up at that time. And, and this it's a regular phenomenon. Even university level academic mathematicians will tell you that the number 47 pops up a whole lot. So there are sort of these, once again, when we look at the study of mathematics as this sort of language of creator, and if the creator wanted to sort of give you signposts, cairns on your path up the holy mountain, if you will, numbers are these great ways to do it. One of them is certainly 111. Um, One of them is certainly 108. 47, 33, 3, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And like I said, if you don't even study math, a lot of people will tell you about numbers they see all the time. So, um, yeah, 111 is a really important one. Uh, in the uh, What is it? Um, and God said, let there be light. Genesis 1, 3 equals 111. So here you have this creation of um Literally, the universe, God speaking light, if you will, into the universe and creating this uh, this entire thing. 
um, metaphorically, literally, I don't know. And then all of a sudden you do the math to it and it's 111. Well, this all-encompassing force that has interwove itself throughout every aspect of creation was given terms, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Add up those using this cipher, you get 111. What is 111? It's one, one, one. It's three becoming one. It's three, be, it's, you know, those three letters, or I mean, three numbers being one, 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 be coming together to create a holy trinity, if you will. The you Father, know? And, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Shiva, Brahman, and Vishnu, and Hinduism, Isis, Osiris, Horus, and Egypt, um, Odin, Frey, and Thor in the Norse mythology. Um, the Holy Trinity is celebrated worldwide. How does that relate into cosmology then? The, you know, when, I, when you look at... Um, when you look at cosmology, the um, ology being the logic and cosmos, right? So there's a logic to the cosmos. Well, we experience that logic every single day. We experience the Holy Trinity every single moment of creation. What's happening in the present moment? The past, the present, and the future are merging into one movement. Time itself is one continuous movement. And is it is okay, it's the present, but now that present was just the past, and then the future's ahead, but the future's now the present. Now the present that I just said is now the past. You see what I'm saying? So that holy trinity of the past, present, and future, which is beautifully an um uh, mythologized in the Shiva Brahman and Vishnu, Shiva the destroyer. What's the past? It's the destroyer, which you know, et cetera, et cetera. You have that Holy Trinity happening all the time, and that's just simply man understanding that he is plopped into this um, ever-moving fluidity of time. You know, So that's, to me, when you look at the Holy Trinity, you can put all these religious archetypes on it. You can put all these meanings to it. But when you just look at how you navigate through time, it's, it's a perfect representation of three becoming one. When does, when does numerology play into it, do you think? Like... If I look at cosmology, it's 27. Cosmology, Darren, to answer your question as well, is 27. What? In the cipher, it's uh -huh. 27, and then 2 plus 7 is 9. So in numerology, that's 9. And that's the, that's like in all the sacred geometry. Well, I was trying is. to tie it in with, with uh, uh, Matheson's. With, oh, astro so not, not with cosmology. You yeah. mean like astrology? More astrology, I guess. No, Astrotheology. Yeah. Astrotheology. Because he basically says the Bible is a big allegory for star constellations. I would I would tend to um, agree with him, but I also go one step further, and I think what the, as far as I've come to understand anyway, is for the Bible. The Bible to me is really um, a, a grand allegorical, cryptic, symbolic story that actually brings in all different aspects of our reality: anatomy, symbolism. Mathematics, astrotheology, um, philosophy, you know, I think it's actually bringing all aspects of your reality into these grand allegorical stories. And the whole point of the Bible to me is that it is extremely cryptic. And in order to sort of like, you know, kind of come to understand or penetrate your reality, you have to go in with using every, um, you know, faculty that you have at your disposal, Everything that was given to the human being, his intelligence, his intuition, his creativity, his, you know, his the, the love he has in his heart, you know, all of those things. You have to go into the creation and look at all these things. And you have to use that same thing when you look at the Bible. So, um, yeah, Dave Matheson um, does great, great work 
with um, you know pulling these allegories together and and showing that they're star myths. But I also say they're also mathematical myths. They're also symbolic. You know, they're also um, uh, like I said, you know, anatomical. You know, um, Genesis. I mean, Genesis. You know, the 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 prefix of Genesis uh, that first syllable is gen, which is generation, genetics, genealogy. You know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the genesis of the creation of the universe is reflected in the genesis of the creation of you. You know, so that's one of the things that's being explained. You know, described. One of the thing that I think is really shows the creativity in um, the, the the cryptic writing of the Bible is you know you have Adam and Eve. Well, one of the things the Bible is certainly talking about is phonetics, Adam and Eve, or the odd and even numbers. You know, people say, well, that's a stretch, right? Okay, but the fourth book of the King James Bible is numbers. So I don't know, you know. Um, I think when we actually go and look at the Bible with these sort of eyes, um, there's so much more there that we have yet to um, gain from looking at it this way, you know. Huh. So what about what about other texts that you found that mm-hmm. that, oh, that are strange like this? The, um. The one thing that I've, I've, the reason I focused on the Bible almost exclusively when trying to deconstruct mathematically what's in the text, the reason I focused on the Bible is because I knew that it was translated into English. So therefore, I knew that this that this book, at least in my opinion, from my investigation, that this book was encoded. And it was encoded with the cipher and it was encoded when it was translated into English. When I look at um, English translations of the Quran, or if I look at English translations of, you know, the De Dao Ching or something like that, I can't know for sure if it was encoded with the cipher or if somebody just went along and they tried to do their best to, you know, you know, decode it or translate it to, you know, the best of their ability and that sort of thing. So I tried to shy away from that a little bit because I don't want to, you know, I, I don't know, you know what yeah. I mean? But from my, my own investigation, the Bible was. And so that's why I focused on that. I'm trying to think of uh, like modern, modern sort of secrets or, or occulted texts. And I wonder what the Georgia Guidestones like would come up with if you, de- if you uh, decoded that. You know, I did that once. Um, I, I started decoding it. Um, and then basically I just, there was so many other things I was doing at the time that I ended up steering away from it. But it is one thing I always wanted to go back to because I do feel that that was encoded. Um, I don't know. The Masons for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the damn Masons. So, um, damn. actually don't say that Randall Carlson get upset. <laughs> yeah. We've had no, a lot of Masons on the show. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, as far as, you know, to, to kind of sum up the Masonic conversation, I think, you know, Masonry was at one point a very noble institution and was was trying to pass on these universal truths about um, the, the true presence of the creator within creation and trying to pass on this information. I mean, hell, their main symbol, the Freemasonic square encompasses with the G in the center, is absolutely telling you about the gematria and how to decode the mathematics of the English alphabet. So to me, that you know, there's this idea of reveal and conceal. You know, they're revealing very clearly if you understand symbolism the mathematics of our english alphabet and i can only i've i've garnered so much positivity from this study that i can't look at masonry and say oh it was just all a bunch of satanists or stuff what's happened to that organization throughout time i don't know i'm not a mason 
I can't tell you what goes on in lodges, that sort of thing. But I also know that just like anything, just like any institution, organization, religious, you know, organization, that sort of thing, you know, the, the cockroaches can get in, you know, and they can completely destroy the place. And so I think that's really what's happened with a lot of the major religions of the world. That's included Catholicism, Christianity, Islam. I think that's happened to a lot of the secret societies of the world. Very much so could be Freemasonry. But I also think that there's a lot of really wonderful Freemasons. Um, I My podcast I had on Timothy Hogan. And Timothy Hogan has written just some, fa- I think he's a 32nd or 33rd degree Mason. He's He goes and speaks at lodges all over the world. And he's written just some beautiful, beautiful things and has helped me a lot in my own study. So I can't point to masonry, say it's all evil. Are there evil people in masonry? <laughs> you know, it's like saying, it's like, are, are there good doctors and bad doctors? Are there shitty cab drivers and good cab drivers? You bet. So, I mean, that to me is basically kind of sums up my opinion of masonry, you know? Hmm. What about other symbolism at all? Like, you, you know, that's a pretty good example with the G in the middle there and all that. What about... You were talking about symbolism before. Okay, let's look at the, let's talk about um, the Freemasonic Square encompasses directly. Um, I have a, um, my uh, my ex-girlfriend who I was with for a very long time, her mother um, and her mother's father and her, and her grandfather, I think, were both Masons. And they have a original Masonic Bible, which is just the King James version of the Bible, but it was, you know, has the Freemasonic square and compasses on the cover. And this was a um, an artifact. I mean, no, it wasn't an artifact. Excuse me, a, a family heirloom that she ended up giving to me because she knew I was that interested in it. But it was something that's like from 1930 or something. And on the cover is the that all it is on the cover is the Freemasonic square and compasses. You take a protractor to that compass, and it's open to 47 degrees. You look at the square, well, square is, of course, 90 degrees. So you have 47 and 90. Well, using, um, number one, there's 47 degrees between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. So we're talking about metrology. We're talking about, you know, understanding the difference between, you know, the path of the sun. And then you also have um, in, in this cipher, one of the things that the Freemasonic Square Encompass is talking about is as above, so below, or heaven and earth. A compass points up to heaven, or a square points down to earth. In sacred geometry, heaven is a circle, earth is a square. The compass is open to 47 degrees. Heaven in the cipher equals 23, earth equals 24. Hmm. 23 plus 24 is 47. I ask you guys, how many hours are there in an earth day? 24. 24 right? hours. Actually, it's 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 56 seconds. Yeah, exactly. So if you were going to use whole numbers or integers to, you know, obviously a 24-hour day, you know, period or whatever. So Earth equals 24. Well, shit, that makes sense, you know. So you have on the cover, all you have to do is take a protractor and measure that compass, and it's open to 47 degrees, and you have the merging of heaven and Earth there. What's also <coughs> important is 47 plus 90. So the degrees of the compass, 47, the degrees of... <laughs> square, which is 90, of course, equals 137. Well, 137, 137.5 is the degree of phylotaxis. It's the degree in which plants will arrange their leaves, you know, uh, so that, you know, receive the optimal light and 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 rain and that sort of thing to help them grow. So here's a fundamental in um, mathematics that you see all in the, you know, the, the kingdom of you know, the earth, and it's right on the, co- the cover of the Holy Bible. Well, 137 is also the 33rd prime number. And like we said, how many degrees in Scottish Rite Masonry? Hmm. 
33. So it's before you even open the cover, you know, the Holy Bible, you have just a, a smorgasbord of information in a single symbol. And mind you, there's the G in the cover there. And what is that telling you about? The mathematics to decode the book. (laughs) (laughs) And the new language to come, right? And the new language, the language of the the new world. Yeah, so you have, before you even open that book, you have them telling you about the mathematics that are encoded within that book, right on the cover. So that to me, you know, like I said, to say that's all coincidence is, you know, it's kind of crazy in my opinion, because you're actually talking about exact precise mathematics you know it's actually funny when i thought of the the day being shorter than 24 hours i started thinking about the whole leap year system and how convoluted that is and i mean it's the same guys are making all this shit (laughs) you know like it's at the same time as you're setting the calendar up you could be setting the the alphabet up what's interesting and i mean the alphabet it's almost like the alphabet was there first because you've got Spanish, French, English, German, fucking, I don't know what else, but all using the same alphabet, same 26 letters. Or or there was a different language that used the same letters before that just kind of broke up into whatever after the Younger Dryas. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly, honestly. I mean, when it comes to that, because we don't have that exact record of history, like, it's just... I just have to put a big question mark on it, you know, because that that's just me being honest. I don't know. You know, um, when it comes down to mapping, though, the um, like the the sun and the moon and things like that, those are those are numbers that you can't fudge. You know what I'm saying? Like there is three hundred and sixty five point two four days of the solar year. Anyone can map that. You know what I mean? There are twenty nine point five three days in a synodic lunar month. Anyone can map that. So if you see those numbers that are just inherent within creation given to us by, you know, the creator itself, and then you find those numbers within the language, you can actually see very clearly that people understood it. They understood it very well. And then they thought they thought it was so important that they had to encode it within the language. Oh yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And uh, that said, I actually have to get going here. But I, I, somebody just showed up. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. yeah no thanks for coming on the show. Come back. Uh, we'll have you back again down the road. And- okay. I, yeah, I really appreciate it. I, I hate to cut it short or anything. Yeah, no, time. no. We'll have you on again, Marty. Um, yeah, and if you're ever up in the area, or whatever, you come by the studio for a chat. I will. Well. I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's great. Well, I'm going to link to everything in the show notes as well, and uh, and we'll uh, yeah, we'll send you. A, a link when, when it comes out. Okay, cool. I appreciate it, guys. This hey, has been a lot of fun. Yeah, no problem, buddy. Thanks for all the, the hard work there. All right. Thanks, man. Okay, all right. Peace. Bye. Ciao. That was our chat with Marty Leeds. What did you think, buddy? Yeah, it's pretty deep, some of it, man. I want to sort of get some the of thing it's out hard of to follow, but <clears throat> when, I, when I started thinking about the fact that, uh, the Bible was only really recently translated into English. I, I, I that had eluded me at first, but once you start taking that into account, it really, you know, why not? Yeah, it was probably only five hundred years ago or four hundred years ago that the Bible was put into English, so you could have fudged words wherever you wanted to make it. You know what I mean? You could have made it fit the cipher. 
and yeah. still got the point across. Yeah, I like it. I like looking at it the other way, where there's a bunch of sacred numbers from sacred geometry or whatever that mean something, and then they encode that into there. Yeah, I don't know maybe. what the purpose would be, really. But I don't think anyone does. I think they got the fucking letters. Like I say, I think the letters are from civilization before. When you think about all the different languages using the same ones, what other explanation could there be? Adoption from, you know, like evolution from... One uh, at first, and then someone just took the yeah. alphabet, but not the language? Yeah, yeah, that is kind of weird. Hmm. Someone knows. We should Someone. We should have someone on the show that just talks about language. Ah, uh, really? A linguist. Yeah? A cunning linguist. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, that's good. Thanks, uh, Marty, for coming on. That was yeah, absolutely yeah. teaching us about the number fuckery and another, another personal awakening and stuff. I did our names while we were doing that. No, I don't want to know. What's my number? You don't want to know. I'm uh, Graham and Dunlop twenty one eighteen for thirty nine, and you're uh, twenty one twenty nine for fifty. Hmm. And there you have it. <laughs> Speaking of uh, number fuckery, head over to grammarica.ca slash support. And uh, there's all sorts of little secret symbol numbers there you can pick from for your monthly donation. And if you have a weird number that's not there, you can uh, let me know and I'll send it to you. I'll send you a custom number. That's that's nice. Mighty nice of you. Yeah. Did you set up that guy's email account that wanted an email no. account? <laughs> Sending a reminder. I need to. I keep sorry meaning, for that guy that's waiting for his email address. <laughs> I keep meaning to get a. It only takes like ten minutes too. That's the worst part. As I keep meaning to, I need to get a list going and just do it. Yeah, it's been a hectic month. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we'll we'll get caught up on that stuff. Yeah. I'm behind on a few things like that too. If people have emailed me and I haven't responded, I'm planning on it, or I've or I've lost it. <laughs> yeah, getting mixed up. So yeah, guys, check out the uh, website. You can leave a message there. You can send your cash. You can send a postcard. You can uh, spam gram. Leave voicemail. All kinds of ways to participate and help the show. Yeah, but most of all, tell your friends about this motherfucker. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Subtract the light, subtract the heart, add in the pain, put me in the dark. Yeah, now give me a couple problems Adding a pad and a pen so I can solve them Now add a little hate, add a little pressure Let's see what we can make Now add back in the heart Brought with the confidence, thought made for the art It's the product of that environment Styles elevators to firemen Don't try, bitch, too fly, class five Rapping with the flow, tongue toast, sec nines Yeah, I had to let them know I've been laying down in dynamite Know we about to blow Feel like I got the green light Yeah, I knew we had to go Lame's doing all the shit I ain't ever do Game takes balls Got mine dragging like I'm Goku Do the math, little homie Yeah, do the math Screw the odds We're exactly where we should be at Do the math, yeah, do the math We're doing better than we ever have Add the highs, subtract the lows, we finally on, so on we go. Add the highs, subtract the lows, we finally on, so on we go. Say my flow's average, what the fuck you mean? Miscalculated your equation, getting by the team. Now we only multiply, said I had a dream to live, but really who the fuck was I? A kid from the middle of nowhere, said I'm gonna be someone, they told me not to go there. 
what you think is gonna happen? Think you really gonna go and make a future out of rapping? Yeah, and I did it with a passion. Like all the love, so my life, a hundred no distractions. Made a racket in the game, balling with no backspin. You can call me Bronson, I'm ready for action. Killing rappers twice, eating ghosts like I'm Pac-Man. My career's a joke, why am I the one laughing? Cause maybe it didn't get it, skinny motherfucker, but I know they all see me flexing. Do the math, little homie, yeah, do the math. Screw the odds, we're exactly where we should be at. Do the math, yeah, do the math. We're doing better than we ever have. Had the highs, subtract the lows. We finally on, so on we go. Had the highs, subtract the lows. We finally on, so on we go. Cause the team been making moves like you hauls. Pulling more weight than I ever seen you haul. Fuck the world that be tripping off a of salary. But I'll be living off of what I love and here for hourlies. Real shit, real spit, real work. Add it up. Real sick, real kids. Yeah, what you get is us. And we ain't ever changing, take a shot of reality I got dreams to chase with, no days off They say I go in sick, made for this shit And I ain't about to go and pull a Benedict Most people would break the chair the way that I've been rocking it Blowing up, putting kerosene on my cigarette Now hold the lighter to that Cast the light to my future and pull the plug on my past But to get here you ain't even gotta look at the math Easy as that, but if you really into the facts AB plus ST plus RA plus CT No matter how you do the math, the world know that that's me Left class to make classics, no one can pass me A for the team, I'm everything they want to be Get to see all the things the most could only hope to be for dream Come on now, let's finish the equation Put me in my right place, I'm tired of waiting I'm tired of waiting Synchronicity, brain reads it out, then Daramite give it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low? Yeah, yeah. 